Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Kevin has 23 distinct podcasts. The 24th is about to be podcasted. Here, that's right. Hello, everybody. Nice to meet you. My name is Griffin Newman. I'm David Sims. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. Yeah. We are hashtag the two friends. Yep. Two friends. We host a podcast together. Mm-hmm. That's an important detail. True. We don't host separate podcasts. No. Or... At one point, we did. I suppose that's true, but you I mean, I that's both... the past. That's the past. Yeah. And why, why delve? I mean, it's a bad way to start a new episode, that's for sure. Probably the worst way to start a new episode. <laughs> uh-huh. Who are we now? What are we doing? We're doing a mini-series. We're doing a podcast that's usually comprised of mini-series sure. about directors. Director. We pick directors and we go through their filmographies, one film at a time, people who had massive success early on and were granted a series of blank checks by Hollywood mm. to make their own crazy dreams, print them onto celluloid, and project them into our hearts. Yep. Sometimes those checks cleared. Sometimes they bounced, baby. Yep. And uh, we made a promise. We did. And this is the first time we've had to deliver on that promise, mm-hmm. right? Yes. yes. Yes, it is. We made a promise that any time a director we had previously covered a miniseries, you know, book closed, put it on the shelf, right. miniseries done. Right. Mm, well, their careers are still going on. Uh-huh. And if they came out with a new movie, we would delve back into the pool. Delve into the pool. I'm saying delve a lot this episode. We dip our toes back into the pool. Yeah. So, although next week we will be starting our next formal miniseries called Pod Me If You Cast, (laughs) the films of Steven Spielberg, the DreamWorks Gears, we are now going back to our original blank check subject. Mm. Pod Night Shyamalan. Yes. M. Night Shyamalan himself. Yep. And his new film, Split. Split. We are recording this on uh, January, January 20th. 20th, 2017, a.k.a. The Last Day. Yep. It's a bummer of a day. Uh, probably the, the worst one. Yeah. Um, uh, of course. We'll no work- jokes. No, no, no jokes. Um, Woke up feeling very jittery. Yep. I've just been sort of, I don't know, very preoccupied the whole day, even though I'm not doing anything with myself. Barely slept last night. And before we beat around Ooh. the bush, I mean, we're not going to make any jokes, but let's acknowledge what happened today. I left my wallet at home. It was it was bad. It was bad. And David and I both had a feeling that was going to happen. We were restless at night. We were jittery now. Yeah, I went to bed too. Um, also, uh, a Nazi is being sworn as president. All right. All right. Um, you want me to cut that out? No. Put it in. Double it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, of course, is the voice of uh, Pierce. You know what I'm going to try to do, actually? What, what? are you going to try? Oh, are you going to get the buttons out? Don't get the buttons out. Oh, God. Oh, you don't on. want me to... This is a spoiler for three months from now, but we got we got some producer Ben to a buttons. Yeah, we did of his nicknames, and I'm gonna try in the order of the buttons randomly. Hey, hey, hey. Mr. Positive. Yeah. Not Professor Crispy. Yeah. Nope. Say Benny thing. Put that there now because that's my stuff. Right. Uh, pa- Ben Night Shyamalan. Hey, there you go. Yeah. Oh, I like he wrote Ben Knight like it was like a knight, like a knight of shining armor. Oh, really? Yeah. Dirt Bike Benny. Producer Ben Kenobi. 
Perdue Band. This is this is not popping, right? Hello, Fennel. No. You know what? Yeah, that's fine. He's got yeah. a bunch of names. We're done He's with got names. Yeah. We got buttons. And I'm here, and I saw the movie too. And hello, hi. So okay. this is yeah. We're talking about Split. That was the worst bit we've ever done. Yeah, that's buttons. actually the number one worst bit we've ever done without <laughs> yeah. fail. Yeah, I didn't think it was a good idea when you did started it, but, but it, got it was worse. worse than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, I'll actually cut it out so no one will know what we're talking no, about. Keep it in and double it. Uh, yeah, keep right, it in triple fine. it, fine, quadruple. Yeah, fine, fine. Uh, in honor, in honor of Kevin, do it twenty-four times. Split. Split. So M. Night Shyamalan, we talked about all his movies last year, mm-hmm. and we talked about his final movie, uh, The Visit, mm-hmm. which came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. But we knew, even at the time, he was working on another movie called Split. Yes. Uh, about a guy. Well, at the time we recorded, we had no idea what Split was about. I guess we just knew it was called Split. We knew it starred James McAvoy. And Anna Taylor-Joy. And Anya Taylor-Joy. And I believe we... Because you were going through how promising. I don't remember if this was on mic or off mic. We you're, knew that it had the cinematographer from It Follows. That was the thing. You were going, going through how promising it was, and you were like, oh, and it's got the. the Mike Jakulis. Right. It's got the production designer of True Detective. It had all these people who were like just coming off of hot, cool work. Mm. And Sterling K. Brown, who has now been cut entirely out of the movie. Yeah, I wonder what he was. I heard. I'll tell you when we get to it. Cool. Um, but it was a promising project. James McAvoy, who I think is. Uh, one of our kind of underappreciated actors. I feel well, like we kind of take him for granted. We take him for granted because he makes a lot of mediocre to bad stuff. Yes. But that doesn't mean he's not an exceptionally talented actor. He has been for a very long time. Yeah. Um. And I you know, grew up in Britain. I watched him on TV and things like Shameless and State of Play sure. before he hit it big. Now, he played the Emmy Rossum role on Shameless? <laughs> now, now. He played the, the Justin, Justin Chatwin, Chatwin role. role. Okay, there we go. Um. Uh, and uh, he was, then he was in, you know, whatever, Last King of Scotland, I guess, is sort of where he started. Oh, he's in Narnia. Narnia was his he's in Narnia. Mr. Tumnus, he fucking owned that shit. He's great Mr. in Tumnus that dog fucking shit movie. Rules. Mr. Yeah. Tumnus is great. You yeah, there are two good performances in that movie. There's three good performances in that movie. The rest of the movie sucks. I assume Tilda's one, and what's yeah, the third Liam one? Neeson is the voice of Aslan the Lion. Nah, I think that's bad. Neeson's I, good. Neeson phones in those things. I Monster Calls, it's the same fucking thing. Oh. Booy. Anyway. Booy. Anyway. More like a monster. Sucked. Anyway, James McAvoy, mm. I remember seeing Narnia and going like, who the fuck is this guy? This fawn is popping. Love this fawn. Popping off the screen. I knew the fawn. I was like, right. huh, James McAvoy? I right. know about that guy. You following year, me? Following year, he plays the lead in Last King of Scotland. Sure, sure. But Forrest Whitaker in a supporting performance, somewhat akin to Hannibal Lecter, just sort of. Fucking takes it, over the they're, movie. They're both leads. I mean, obviously, I mean, J- James McAvoy is playing the audience surrogate, yeah. the sort of the you know, uh, the person that the, the movie is the protagonist. Yes. But obviously, you know, yeah, he is. Yeah. He's not the most interesting character in that movie. Idi right. Amin is the right. most interesting. I mean, it's Forrest Whitaker giving the performance of a lifetime it's in a one of the most fascinating human beings who's ever existed. So it just kind of takes over the movie, and I feel like. McAvoy's on track because everyone sees that movie, but he's kind of overshadowed within that film, doing really solid work. Yeah, but then the next year, I mean, he clocks out. He's clocking out little British things like yes. Becoming Jane. Starter for Starter 10. for 10. Yes. But uh, then the next year, he's in Atonement. Right. Then the year after that, he's in Wanted, now which is a big hit. Now, that's the big one-two punch, because Atonement, it was like, okay, Hospice. here we go. Like, fucking, uh, uh, what's his name? Joe Wright sort of felt like a guy on the up and up. Now this is his big play, big book. And it felt like it was going to be kind of an anointment for him. I feel like he gets within shooting range of a Best Actor nomination. He gets a Golden Globe nod. You right. know, he gets he gets some attention. And he's good in it. 
I think he's very good in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Movie doesn't connect as well as they thought it would. Gets a bunch of Oscar nominations, though. Whatever. Right. You know, it is, it's a well-remembered movie. And then Wanted is like, Wanted okay, is he's a the surprise lead. hit. Yeah. And it like, again, of course, Angelina's kind of like the, the star in the advertising and right. maybe the they most memorable the thing. But she's definitely a supporting character in that. He he's, is. He is quite good in that movie. Yeah. He is really going for it. Yeah. Now, that's the thing I want to say about him. It's not a good movie. No, it's not a good movie. That's the thing I really respect about James McAvoy is I don't think I've ever seen him not go for it. And I think he's an actor with tremendous range. He's great. He's got certain movie star qualities. He's got certain character actor qualities. He's handsome. He's got character actor qualities. He's tough to slot into stuff. Very much so. He's he's tough. Very much so. Because I don't know if there is... He's got character actor qualities, but he's not a chameleon, right? Yeah. He changes a lot for the role, but he's not someone who totally disappears. You're always aware you're watching James McAvoy. That having been said, I don't know if there is a defining James McAvoy star element. He's he's a charming little shit. I mean, that's right. how I would put him. He's, but sometimes he plays on the softer side of that, and sometimes he plays yes. much harder than that. But I've, I feel like he's always doing good work. Yeah. Um, he is. And, I mean, and, obviously, he, yeah. he, gets, he gets the X-Men role, so right. he did three of those. I don't think anyone would claim he's the the most memorable element of those movies, but he's he's pretty good. I will say something interesting though, because it's it's is oh, that a lot? Yeah, you're doing David Dude. for the listener at home is doing the Professor X hands on the temple hands on the temple hard thinking face. Mm. Um, I think he's good in those movies. He certainly doesn't break out of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, and apart from that, he's made a lot of bad decisions. Or yes, just, well, like know, Victor Frankenstein and fucking Victor Frankenstein trance filth. Yeah, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Arthur Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else he got? The Conspirator. I'll say I've seen most of those that you've listed, not all of them, and I still have yet to see him be bad. I got no beef with him. Me I'm neither. just... You know. I, I just... I like him a lot. Uh, but I went to... Brag, brag. The premiere of two X-Men ago. I went uh, to the Days of Days Future of Past, Future Past premiere. And I got to go to the after party and then the after party, whatever. Right? <laughs> Uh, but I was in this room. I spent most of the night in rooms with the entire cast of Days of Future Past, which uh-huh. is like one of the craziest big casts cast, of all time. Big cast. And ended up at the like, you know, New York apartment, a large New York apartment, but not like a party space. A New York apartment where the after after party was happening. Uh-huh. And rode in an elevator with James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. And Michael Fassbender, who has always, you know, for like the last decade been tapped as like, this is the guy. Yep. This is the guy. He's got the thing. Yep. An Irishman. Right. Uh, and uh, Mac Scottish. Scottish. I was in the elevator with the two of them, and Fassbender was just sort of standing there, and I was yeah. like, "It's a good-looking guy, it's a good actor, whatever." But McAvoy was just like the most magnetic. He's very lovely. And then I was like in this party with my dad, and we kept on walking around and being like, "That McAvoy guy." There's just like something about we we didn't talk to him the whole night, mm. but in this room we're like, you know, fucking Jennifer Lawrence and like whoever. We're all walking around. McAvoy was the guy who was, like, shining the brightest. And it was like, there's something okay. to this guy. All right, I'm shutting you off. There's some fact. That's, that's <laughs> the last thing I want to say about Okay, him. okay. This film was originally announced with Joaquin Phoenix in the lead. That would have been a different movie. Yep. Uh, but yes, of course, Joaquin, who worked with M. Night on Signs and The Village. Correct. So they had a history. At one point seemed to be his guy. And, you know, Joaquin these days doesn't make a lot of movies. He mostly mm-hmm. works with very serious auteurs. So mm-hmm. it might have been interesting to see him... Because, you know, in my opinion, Joaquin is like a super hammy actor. And, you like, think he's have, a ham sandwich? He's he's the king of ham sandwiches. And uh, it might have been interesting to see him go play 
a very hammy role sure. in a very schlocky movie yes. with an old director he knows. Um, uh, she didn't do it. He drops out late. Do we know why? Was he making another movie? So I watched an interview with Shyamalan last night that revealed a lot of the questions I think we're going to have. But one mm-hmm. of the things he said was that uh, he wrote this script, delivered it, I think, to Jason Blum at Blumhouse, who yep. also produced The Visit. Yes, who is and, Shyamalan's new buddy. Right. And said, like, I want to make this. It's a small budget. It's only $10 million. And the movie was set up, and they were going to start filming in, like, three months. Mm-hmm. He said it was, like, 12 or 15 weeks before, between when he delivered the script and when they started filming. Uh-huh. And so at the moment he had the script, and he went to Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix was down, and then another movie that Joaquin Phoenix was a part of got delayed or pushed up or whatever uh-huh. it was. And, and so they had a very limited window to find someone, and James McAvoy had previously been unavailable and now was available. Well, you may, the Joaquin Phoenix's new two features this year coming mm-hmm. up, uh, he's making a movie with Lynn Ramsey, which is very exciting. Really called, exciting. You ne- you were never really here, based uh-huh. on a Jonathan Ames novella. Okay. With Alessandro Nivola. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows of that? But Lynn Ramsey's always an exciting director. Yeah. Then he's making a Mary Magdalene biopic with Garth Davis, the director of Lion. Oh, and Rooney Mara. Starring right. Rooney Mara as Mary Magdalene, and he is playing Jesus Christ. Yeah. So here's a fun thing. Jesus Christ. Have you heard that she apparently- She would tell Edgio for Peter. Have you heard that apparently uh, Rooney Mara and uh, Joaquin Phoenix are dating now? Yeah, I, I heard that they they were like hanging out in like a colonic clinic or something. Like they were yeah. both getting their butts evacuated together. After, after they met playing Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Pretty weird. Yep. Anyhow. So Joaquin, so long, Joaquin. So long. Here comes- McAvoy. Strangely charismatic James McAvoy. Um, and- uh, Let's just get straight into this movie. Okay, so we're going to talk fucking spoilers like crazy. Yeah, we're going to spoil this movie, and I want to be very clear to everyone listening. If you have any interest in seeing Split, go see Split, because the the twists are genuinely worth experiencing unspoiled. Yeah, I would say, I mean, even if you're someone who thinks you like spoilers... I. You don't trust me. Put it this way. If you really are into M. Night Shyamalan's oeuvre, sure. go see this movie without having spoiled. And look, That's all. I'm wrestling with this movie in a major way, uh-huh. okay? Uh-huh. But one thing I can say without any qualification, and I, I give the movie credit for this, is I, I had no idea where it was going. Same. I was sitting there in the theater, and I went, this is kind of thrilling sure. that I don't feel like I can call this movie shots. Interesting. Sure. And sometimes even I'm watching a movie, and I'm going, okay, either this or this is going to happen. Like, uh-huh. it's clear one of two things is going to happen. Okay. I was watching it with no sense of a roadmap. <sighs> yeah. Uh, the trailers even only really show you stuff from the first 30 minutes. Basically, yeah, very much so. And just the whole way the film's plotted, it's very, uh, uh, it, it's unexpected in its construction and, and its events. Uh, uh, totally agreed. So seriously, ding, ding, ding. We're going to talk about spoilers. Maybe not like the second after I finish this sentence, but just if you want to see the movie, go see the movie. It's okay. in theaters. Okay. It's a sequel to Unbreakable. So what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a sequel to the film Unbreakable. Um, <clears throat> Unbreakable. <laughs> You got that, Benny? <clears throat> yeah. Unbreakable. Yeah, I got it. I'm glad we called that back. <sighs> you have to dig that midi up. <laughs> Finger. What? All right, let's. Finger. Let's get back to the movie. All right, okay. please. So let's let's start from the beginning. Let's not talk about the unbreakable stuff until we get oh, 
to it. Boy. Okay. Sorry. I'm yelling. So, so, so I, I, you know, huge asterisk we need to talk about before we dig into the film proper. Because mm. I was certainly watching it through this prism, okay? <sighs> what prism? There's been a lot of hang-wringing about whether or not this movie is offensive. Yeah, whether or not it is hashtag problematic. Right. Does it depict mental illness in a good way or a bad way? Right. now You might detect a, a hint of sarcasm or cynicism to my tone here. Right. So here's the quick answer. Bad way. So what? It's a schlocky genre movie. Anyone who's coming in here thinking this is an accurate portrayal of disassociative identity disorder... I don't know what to tell you. You probably already thought that that's what this was like, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, okay. Come so, on, man. Come on. This is the second in what appears to be a trilogy of M. Night Shyamalan making uh, low-budget horror films Low-budget about- horror films about invented mental illnesses, essentially. Right, like he's taking- Like where he's taking some germ of a real mental illness, maybe, right. but then completely inventing whole cloth symptoms and behaviors that don't exist. Heightening it to some insane degree. Yeah, it's interesting that that might happen in like, I mean, like we used to talk about Mike M. Night Shyamalan claiming he made B-movies, you yeah. know, and we'd be like, what the fuck are you no, talking he's about? he's actually making but B-movies. But now, now he is making B-movies. He's making movies for small budgets with Jason Blum, the king of the small budget horror movie. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, he's he is now officially playing in that pool. Like a movie like Signs that costs 80 million bucks and is... You know, a thoughtful meditation on Catholicism. That's not a B movie, my friend. No, nope, absolutely not. But and not, nor is the Sixth Sense. It's a small ghost story, maybe, but it's not a B movie. And he's dropped his A movie pretensions, which I uh, wholeheartedly admire and respect. I agree. And and what he hasn't dropped, however, is his senses of visual storyteller sure. and his like you know next level grasp of cinema that is often. Missing from, say, a Blumhouse movie. No offense to the Blumhouse Agreed. movies. But a lot of times these things look like, you know, disturbed videos, you know, and like this right. doesn't. I, I mean, at the day that we are recording this, January 20th, America's death, um, we uh, have have pretty much finished. I mean, we're three movies away, I think, from finishing our Steven Spielberg miniseries. Uh-huh. Uh, we had to bank it up in advance, which is going to be a lot of fun for you folks to listen to because it's wildly out of order. Um, but we had to back it up in advance before I start filming uh, in the spring so that the show can continue without interruption. Humble break. Humble break. But a thing that we've been talking about a lot is that, like, n- no one is more effective at using the camera to make you feel what he wants you to feel than Steven Spielberg. He's good at it. Now, Shyamalan is a not— A devotee of Spielberg. Uh-huh. You know, as he would, I'm sure, say. Right. At his best, has similar strengths. And that's what really sure. put him on the map is, like, oh, this guy has a really expressive camera a really expressive visual sense. He can create these moments of tension better than anyone. You know, he can ratchet it up. Yeah. And for a while, he was muddying those abilities in, like, pretensions and loftier sort of, like, you know. He, he wasn't giving us a straight shot. Right. Um, and, and now he's back to, like, I want to make the audience feel shit. Right. And part of that is he's a schlockmeister now, and he wants to make them, I think, feel uneasy not just in terms of tension but also in terms of the subject matter that he's playing with yeah i mean he's he's playing with fire in this movie now did is like this hotly contested issue within the very idea of it is contested like the very idea that it exists is contested you know or like how it manifests or what it means or whether it's 
its own disorder or it's like other disorders sort of collected together or that, that's the thing know. it's sort of this umbrella and uh, the cases don't really line up with each other the causes the react i mean i i'm not gonna whatever we're not do web md here yeah but like it's a, the point is it's it's a gray area within like the psychi- psychiatric community to sure. begin with right and then m night is taking like nope. M. Night is taking Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. M. Night yes. is taking the long-standing gothic slash genre slash fantasy obsession with multiple personalities. Sure. And, you know, whatever, inflating it, you know, right? I mean. But yes. he's also doing a movie in which they reference disassociative identity disorder a lot, talk about it as yes. an actual diagnosable condition. In the same way that in the visit they talk about uh, sundowning as like as if it's like a real thing that happens in this way. But this yeah. movie even more so, and the second lead of the movie, or the third lead of the movie is third. his therapist. Yeah. And there are a lot of scenes of her on her own trying to figure out his condition. Although to, and they use the proper name. To the movie's credit, the therapist is in the movie presented as uh, not well-respected. By no, her colleagues. No, everyone questions her. Everyone questions her. She like you know she can't get like a panel discussion at the, uh, uh you know, uh, conferences about you know mental health and things like that. Like sure, she's basically regarded as sort of like a, an outside the you know like sort of like a, a theoretician at best. You know, like someone who they ask questions of, but they do not allow to present. Well, and for a psychological condition that is already a bit of a moving target. She's presenting theories that are far outside of the range of where anyone else is shooting. And they keep on saying, like, there's no precedent for that. There's no proof of that. Where's your evidence? And she's like, dog, dog. And they're like, okay, okay. Uh, I was watching this, and it does, you know, like, the thing this is closest to is, like, you know, Samuel Fuller or, like, Brian De Palma. Sure, exactly. Brian De Palma is a good example. with, like, really, it's like Tempest in a Teapot. Like, let's fucking rile them up. I mean, you see a movie like Dress to Kill. Yes. And... You know, now you watch that movie and you're like, oh, this is horrifyingly offensive. Right. Uh, even at the time, I think people were like, oh, you know, come on. Um, but he's just borrowing from Hitchcock and people like that who, again, they would take some germ of realism. Right. And like, oh, you know, he's a cross-dressing because he's obsessed with his mother. That's why, you know, it's like it's all narrative fiction imposed on like one little bit. You know, like Alfred Hitchcock, Ed Gein, like who would skin people. And turns that into Psycho, which has nothing right. to do with Ed Gein. But, you know, it's like they can they then say, oh, it's based in, in real fact. But there's a difference between loosely basing something off of a person and their actions versus basing something off of a condition. Okay. All right. And a psychiatric, like, I guess you know, so. classification for a type of person. But it's, okay, anyway. No, because I think this is all important to talk about. I mean, I'm, we're not going to be able to talk about the movie without talking about this. Right. I... I was sitting there the whole time and thinking, like, how would I respond to this movie if I was watching it and someone was like, hey, you want to see this crazy movie that was made in 1982? Yeah, sure. sure you know, sure. if it was You're like. seeing Sisters by the right. or whatever. Right. And I'd be like, this is insane. This is obviously offensive. Right. This movie feels irresponsible. You could never make this today. Mm. You have to view it for what it is. Right. But watching it today in 2017. When I feel like as a country, I mean, the world at large, but also especially our country, which has always been so sort of puritanical, Mm. is finally having like starting to have a progressive, productive conversation (sighs) about mental illness. Uh It's like it made me a little uncomfortable watching this fucking movie. Okay, It made me uncomfortable just because they keep on using the real name of a real disorder. And it's not like that's a disorder. They use the real name. 
Uh-huh. They're not just saying, like, this guy has 24 personalities. They're going, like, DID, DID, sure, sure, DID, sure, sure, DID. Sure, sure. Okay, all right. Which it's like, well, it's not like there are other positive representations of DID in the media. There was three seasons of United States of Tara. There was. And right, this. Right, right, Yeah. Like, that's it. So you just imagine, like, you know. Oh, also multiplicity. And multiplicity, right. That was uh, cloning, my friends. Oh, okay. Not the same. Not the same. I kept on watching this movie, and uh-huh. because he plays so fast and loose with what this guy is. Yeah, this is science fiction. This right. film is science fiction. I kept on, and because the doctor is portrayed. And like, I mean that literally. It is yes. science yes. fiction. Yes, it, it is. It takes bits of science and, yeah, makes yes, a fantasy is. about it. Yeah, Because the doctor is portrayed as being kind of a quack. Yeah. I mean, my, I think it was my brother... Was I telling you about this? Put it in the classic genre of all horror movies where it's like you meet the doctor or the expert and they're smoking a pipe and they're like, yes, no, it's very interesting, his condition. I've decided to do nothing about it and see what happens. You know, that's sort of like, mm, yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, the interesting thing about him is he may go mad, but uh, I'm waiting and seeing on this yeah, one. And I then mean, six scenes later, there's a knife in their back or whatever. Good joke. Five comedy points for Joey. Uh-huh. Um, it, it's definitely in that tradition. Uh. Because she sort of seems unreliable, because everyone around her in the community is saying, like, this is impossible. Right, right, right. I was waiting for the movie, knowing it's Shyamalan. You thought the movie was going to then double back around and be like, yeah, like, that's not what this is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. I thought, I thought the movie was going to reveal itself to be about a misdiagnosis. Yeah. Well, here's where, uh, so basically, I'm, what, I'm being a bit of a snark right now, but yeah. I, was, I was with you uh, in a lot of ways. And I'll say, I was hoping for that. Like, I, I wanted not, that. No. I, I didn't really care. But, I mean, I, I was more just sort of thinking, like, this is classic Shyamalan. And I remind you, again, like, Psycho literally ends with a psychiatrist delivering, like, a monologue about, like, what right. happened. And this like, movie is, like, an in, that monologue stretched out to two Right. They kind, of, they kind of just parceled that out through the yeah. movie. But, of course, what the movie is really doing is, like, it's world building. It's, like, establishing the weird parameters of this, you know, this this guy. Like, it's, like... He's got 23 personalities. Like, one is dominant, and, like, a couple are very uh, bad, and, like, they're sort of been exiled, and, like, yeah. there's this idea of a holding the light. You know, people, like, you know, one personality at a time, but they're all conferencing with each other. This is all, right, all this info is being parceled out. Yeah. And then, you know, at the end of the movie, we realize, like, his 24th personality is just animals. <laughs> is uh, every animal in one at the same time? I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... I'm just going to skip right ahead. We can talk about the movie, but I'm going to skip right ahead to the end because that's okay. that's what this conversation we're having is about. Sure, because it, it totally recontextualizes the whole This is what, This is what I'm getting to. Okay, so but you know, yeah. so the first twist, which involves Anya Taylor-Joy's character and the fact that she's suffered abuse and is in her own way mentally ill. You, know, you don't want to go through the movie and get to this? No, I'm getting this now and okay. then we'll get to that. Okay. No, but we're talking, you're talking about the problematic sure. elements sure. of this movie sure. and yes. this is where it is problematic. I agree. In my opinion, it's not the DID stuff, it's that part. I think both are problematic. Sure, fine. But like that's where I was like, you know, I had been warned by people who'd seen the movie already like, ah, there is this one twist at the end that ugh, is kind of offensive. And I was like, about like the DID, you know, about the multiple personalities and they were like, no. You know, and I was like, oh. He's so I bringing see, other stuff. Right, I see this, wire. and yeah. I believe I put it on Twitter. It's a little too much paprika in the sandwich to, to, to reference the movie Split, in which he puts a lot of paprika in the sandwich. Sure, that old <laughs> added. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. You know, you're, you're like, you know, classic Shyamalan. He's gone a little too far. This is He's tying it up too neatly. 
this doesn't totally track for me. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing where the beast is like, ah, you're like me. Yeah. You know, we're the real ones. And, ah, you know, and you're like, okay. And then comes the twist we discussed. Right. This that, is a sequel to Unbreakable. And that this is a comic book and he's a comic book villain. Right. And then I'm like, I love this movie. And I'm walking out and saying, this is the best. And I'm so happy. Because that's a fucking comic book villain. Correct. That's what that is. Correct. Where it's like they have weird rules and they have some bizarre, like, you know, unitary goal. And his his rules are as dumb as any other comic book villain rules. He's like Ultron or whatever. It's a yes. fucking hilarious comic book villain. Right. And most comic book villains are mentally ill. If not yes, an actual indeed. diagnosis. Well, often they do have one, especially right. these days. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, very often they're either a doctor who went mad or a patient who <laughs> There's a powerful. lot of people who are quote-unquote mad right. in comic books, and now it's like they're whatever, you know, they're yeah. mentally ill. Back in the day, it was more just like, he's mad, he's a mad scientist, he's right. a mad professor, whatever. Right. And so then I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And I bought in, I guess is the way to put it. I mean, it left me with a lot more questions. Let's go through the part of the film and we'll get to it. All right. Okay. 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 Great movie. Yeah, th- forgetting this stuff. I mean, I, I just mean like yeah. the movie in general as it goes along, especially those opening scenes and, you know, whatever. Uh, I mean, I walked out of the movie. Ben and I talked about it for like 45 minutes. I had a really hard time like uh-huh. untangling it. I, uh-huh. I mean, Ben, I think, is it fair to say I was uh, kind of manic after the movie ended? Yeah, you I was made, you extremely made, manic too. You made me stay with you in the theater like for a while. Yeah, like, I like couldn't move. <laughs> I was I uncomfortable. Was, I was like just trying to untangle everything I had watched. <laughs> Meanwhile, Boy. there's like the movie theater employees like cleaning up around us. Yeah. Oh, you like didn't even leave the theater. No. no. Wow. Right. And then once we left, I like was like I could get on the train right here on the corner. I could walk for another twenty blocks, uh-huh. and we walked for twenty blocks to like two stations away just talking about it and then i went i saw uh, uh john trowbridge a uh, past guest of the past show guest uh, friend of the show yes uh from the denim invasion episode uh who listens to the podcast and knows how versed we are in Shyamalan and all right i had got and, and there, a couple of people had tweeted us being like who had seen it being like yeah. very excited for you guys yes. to see this yes right. so uh i i I was supposed to do his stand-up show last night, and then the show ended early, and I ran late because of post-split talk. It was uh-huh. a perfect storm of the two things, so I got there after the show had ended, and ended up just talking to him for a little bit, um, and he was like, "What? you went to see a movie tonight, right? What do you see? And I was like, I saw the new Shyamalan. And he was like, oh, man, I can't wait to hear what you think. And uh-huh. I was like, I, I actually don't know. Like, I can't remember the last time I was this uncertain how I felt about a movie. That's so interesting, because for me... It's the first time, for sure, that I have seen a Shyamalan movie where the twist uh-huh. sold me on the movie. Like, without a doubt, that's the first time that's ever happened. There's no Shyamalan twist that ever sold me on the movie before. Sure. The only, like, Shyamalan twist I really love, apart from this one, is uh, The Sixth Sense. And that doesn't, like, I'm already into the movie, you know. Yeah, it the makes twist the movie is, better. It does. But it's not, like, yeah. where I was kind of, like, I'm not sure how I feel about this. And then I see the twist and I'm like, oh, it makes sense. Great. You know, like. And also, yeah, like the Sixth Sense is already like a three, three and a half star movie, even if you cut the twist ending out. If it just ends with he's helped the boy, the boy's happy now. You know? Yeah. If Sixth Sense ends with the scene in the car with Tony Collette. Right. That you're, movie's still. You're, you're like, good. That wasn't a 
an interesting little ghost story about a yes. boy who could talk to ghosts. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Question though, yeah. this movie, I don't feel like it's it's like uh, Sixth Sense in that you need to rewatch it and have like a new perspective on it necessarily. No, because the twist is more thematic than it is about the plot that you've been watching. Right. Although I think if you rewatched it, you would notice little things like he talks about how many teeth tigers have and like things like that. Yeah. Little clues on, about like where they are and you know what what his well, past and, yes. is. Yes. And Sixth Sense is a magic trick movie, so then part right. of. Probably we watching the sixth sense is just watching the magic. It's the so, artistry. It's yeah, just exactly. seeing how they pulled it over. You can on now you. see the lines, you know, the blocking right. tape on the on the stage, but you're kind of amazed that it's all that it all worked. It's the montage where they explain how the heist happened yeah. after the fact. And so like that's the thrill of watching Sixth Sense is this high wire act and being like, Oh man, he didn't fuck it up. It actually all tracks. Mm-hmm. This movie, I I certainly feel the need to see a second time just to reconcile with what the fuck it is. Mm-hmm. Um but Okay, let's 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 try, let's just try to fucking go through this thing. Sure. Uh, Split begins with three kids, uh, played by Annie Taylor Joy as Casey, yeah. uh, Haley Lou Richardson, who was great in uh, The Age of Seventeen last mm-hmm. year, as Claire, and I believe I've already said should be cast as siblings with Zoe Deutsch in a movie. The two of them look similar. Okay. Someone write something. I don't White know. White girls, the movie. Jessica Sula as Marsha, who was from Skins. She was in a late. Uh, season of like the of the British skins. third generation of yeah skins. like season yeah. seven of skins right I, uh, I didn't last that long me neither yeah. um, but and the idea is that um the Marsha and uh, Claire they are the cool kids correct they had like Claire had like a birthday party and they had to invite Casey because like you want to invite everybody exactly Neil Huff the dad is saying like I thought you said you want to invite Neil everybody Huff. and but good Casey's actor. good like, actor love Neil Huff love yeah. Neil Huff don't love Showtime's Huff. Me neither. Starring Hank Azaria from like 2003. And the late great Anton Yelkin. Thanks for bringing me down. Who thought he'd be the first one to die from the cast of Huff? This is terrible. You're saying you you bet on Platt instead? I'm trying to think of who else was in Huff. But anyway. Blythe Danner. Oliver Platt. Patrick Brewster. Hank Azaria. And the late great Anton Yelkin. R.I.P. Anton Yelkin. You're great. Um, Not on Huff, but that wasn't your fault. It was bad material. Sure. KC is the weird kid. They obviously, yeah. they think she's weird, but the dad's like, look, fucking deal with it. And that's the opening of the movie is watching her isolated, looking out a window mm-hmm. on her cell phone, uh, like a fucking like Hitchcock dolly zoom. Sure. And over that, you're hearing the two kids talk about like, oh, how weird God, she is. She's so weird. You know, why so does she weird. behave this way? And of course, again, if you rewatch the movie, you'd, you'd pick up on this more. The idea is she's not one of the people that, uh, James McAvoy was watching. He wanted the two girls. He yeah. didn't want Anya Taylor-Joy. He didn't know about her. She's yeah. not interesting to him. No. Uh, so she's kind of a spare, you know. Correct. You get you know, get what I'm saying? Because he keeps talking about, like, he yes. wants... Yeah, right. Yes, I do. I mean, right. yes, these are all massive questions I had that I was going through a psychological tailspin with Ben last night. Uh, so they get in the car, uh, you know, I would say, in- incredibly effective creepy scene. I think probably the best piece of filmmaking Ugh, in this movie. It's so good. And I uh, was watching it and I sort of, like, Ben turned to me and he went, like, wow, right into it. Uh, and to me, this is a movie Shyamalan is making, like, you know, this is definitely like like a, like a an It Follows, which sure. this movie has the same cinematographer as. Uh, and there's that the, one very similar shot that comes at the beginning of the sequence where it's the two girls and the dad packing stuff into the car. Mm-hmm. Let's just set up her her relative has not come to pick her up from the birthday yeah, party. Sure, whatever. So right. they go like, let's give you a ride home. They don't really want to do it. But now it's like, okay, the three of them are going to go in the car with the dad and they're going to drop her off at home. And that's right. the basic setup. 
right. for and, how and things go Instead, wrong. McAvoy gets in the car right. and chloroforms them with like a spray. And they do they do the infollow it, it they do the it follows shots where the camera is functioning as McAvoy slowly moving sure. towards them right. as they're packing the car and you get the unease of like oh shit this isn't me watching this as a viewer this is me feeling a force coming yes, towards them right I'm in the mind of the of the person very of effective the, of the villain whatever right um but this is a movie like it follows like lots of horror movies about like the like gossamer thin. Uh, veneer of safety that comes with like a nice landed suburban middle class life. Sure. Like these girls when McAvoy gets in the car don't even react with horror. They're like excuse uh, me or yeah. you're in the wrong car. They act like he's a dork. They're like, like a, uh, you fucking idiot this isn't your car. An objectively odd looking bald guy like yes. just gets in the car with like total ease. But strangely magnetic. Like if you were stuck in an elevator with him after the premiere of Days of Future Past you'd be like something about this guy <laughs> is just kind of popping. Absolutely. And your dad would agree. And uh, you know and he's going to re- he reinforces this throughout the movie by the fact that the you know Claire and Marsha are barely wearing any barely wearing any clothes, mm-hmm. whereas Ani Taylor Joy's character is like bundled up with like layer upon layer, yes. uh, you know, and things like that. Like, and you know, this is all in service of the hashtag problematic point that he is making. Yes, um, but I do like that that more uh, classic, like, oh, like you know, these fucking kids, they don't, you know, they're idiots, they don't know anything. Like the classic slasher horror genre sure. thing of like. You know, the suburbs, they're so safe, like, and thus, like, so unsafe, like, so easy to disturb. Yeah, I just love the fucking, the, the like, fucking, like, cinematic, like, reps he's doing in this scene. Like, it's, he's just, like, at the gym fucking showing off. I mean, the, the, the shot of Anya Taylor-Joy, like, the way she reacts and how different it is. Yeah. And how he lingers on it and slows it all the way down, so you can really start to wonder, like, what is going on in her brain that she reacts this way to this? Right. Ugh. And it's also, you know, when you're watching the conversations uh, between James McAvoy and the two girls in the back, it's kind of third person. But when James McAvoy and Anya Taylor-Joy or are locked in any sort of way, it's mm. kind of first person POV camera. Mm-hmm. You know, it looks like you're looking at them, they're looking at you. She's, she's got a great face for that <sighs> She's a good uh, fucking stuff. actor. She's extremely good. I mean, we should, you know, she was in The Witch right. last year, which she's terrific in. She was in Morgan, which Didn't I did Morgan. not see, but was another, like, creepy girl movie. But I certainly had this feeling. Not- she's in Barry, which she's lovely in. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, she's Barack Obama's girlfriend. Michelle Obama? Not that one. Uh, his white girlfriend from uh, yeah no she didn't play Michelle Obama. Thank God. <laughs> no, from because it's set in Columbia. It's like when he was in college. You know Barry. Yeah. No, yeah, I know. Yeah. I haven't seen that. I know you liked it, right? Yeah, I liked it. You know, you. three stars. Yeah. It's it's decent. It's, it's there's things that are. In. Okay, so it's more of a Hotel Transylvania two than Hotel Transylvania one. Okay. Yeah, bingo! You nailed it. Bingo! Bingo! Right. So know. three stars is Put not a five star can. masterpiece. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Hotel Transylvania two. Okay. Um, the, the uh, I saw the witch. I thought she was very good in it. The Vitch. The Vitch, but also that movie is so stylized. Of course, so yeah, you don't and know right She's an unknown actress, that yeah. it was like one of those things where it's like, this might be a great director who cast someone perfectly and got exactly. a good performance out of Got the good face, that. got the good look, got right. the right So person. much of it is her, her face, her look, exactly. her presence. She's really good at reacting to shit. Yeah, yeah. no, you never know, but she's I think she's proving and herself I watched a very her in this and I was like, She's got the goods. She's yeah. clearly, she knows what she's doing. She's mm-hmm. a really fucking good actress. Yep. Um, and this is... A tough part. A tough, tough part. I would argue almost an unfair part to give to anybody. Hey, man, she does a good job. And she handles it really well. 
Um, but this opening is great. I mean, you see just even just the fucking camera moves in this. I mean, there's the great thing where she's sitting shotgun and the camera keeps on kind of bananaing around the car. Mm-hmm. So you see the body of someone closing the trunk, yes. walking to the right. door, walking back. We, on the audience, know something is up, but Something's we don't hear weird. a noise. You right. know, we don't hear the because the, we, we, as we quickly learn, the dad just gets chloroformed too. So there's no like right. violence struggle. But you don't see any of it. You that. don't see anything that you just hear the thing close. Like immediately Shyamalan showing this like, is a movie with no jumps, no, none at all. No. It's I'd say one. Maybe one sort of I think of there's mild one in the jump. last ten minutes of the movie. But I mean, you know, like this is a movie where I would and this is what I'm talking about when I say Blumhouse. Yeah. And their ilk. All the That's horror it. movies are it would be all jumps, you know, it'd be like, you know, Pan and then woo, you know, like he's in the seat next to you. Right. I don't know, like or like the music box really, really yeah, slowly yeah, 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 yeah. until it stops and then which is like that is what I mean I I, I don't know who gives a shit. It's such a cheap, boring trick. Yeah. And like I guess audiences kinda like it because you go to see one of those movies and the audiences are you know, jumping and laughing and like it's like a roller coaster or whatever. But like yeah. you get so inured to it. It gets so like, here we go. You know, even when you watch a trailer for one of these movies, you're like, all right, I in like it. twenty seconds yeah. it's gonna do exactly what you just said, or ding, someone's ding, gonna be looking ding, in a ding, mirror ding, or ding, 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 they'll be ding. like looking at a picture, like an old picture, and they're like, what is this? And suddenly, like, the monster. Ah! Like, ah! <laughs> All right. <laughs> Turn the volume down on this, yeah. Benny. Um, um, guys, don't scream directly <laughs> in the microphone. He's the one doing it. Ding, 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 ding. Anyway. Ah! Damn it. <laughs> All right. No one's going to enjoy that. No, it's a terrible podcast. So, um... <laughs> But but this was seriously Ben. You can you can tone those all the way down. Yeah, and also delete everything. We're starting over. Um, there I was looking at just the fucking car sequence, right? Mm. And it's like there are two shots that are amongst the scariest things that happen in this movie: the slow track into the back of the car Uh from McAvoy's perspective, and that weird bananaing from Anna Taylor Joy's side where she's not seeing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And both of those cases, nothing scary is happening on screen. No. But he's creating dread just in how he menace the fucking camera. Yes. Great. Nothing. I mean. Hey, man. A lot of people can put a scary image on screen. That's what I'm saying. This is next level. And some people can put a scary image on screen and shoot it in a scary way. Right. Very few people can shoot nothing and make it scary. Jason Blum. Academy Award nominee, Jason Blum. For Whiplash? Um, so... They, he kidnaps them. It kind of happens in slow motion. She sees them get the, the Anya Taylor-Joy reaction happens. Like, he chloroforms them, and then you cut to slow motion, I think, of her, like, where she's like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then she finally tries to open the door really, really slowly. And that's disrupted by the beep, beep, Yeah, and beep, then that, yeah, because the car engine's on. Right. Like, and then and then he he looks at her. And again, you're you're, like... It's a Shyamalan movie. You're hunting for the twist. Right. So you're like, why isn't he gassing her right away? Something weird's going on. Yeah, you know, like, are they in cahoots? Does she know him somehow? Like, you know, what's this going to be? And her reaction is so odd. It's so peculiar. It's it's hard to and even then describe. You, she certainly looks scared, but, but not... Right. It's whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's there's a practice quality to it, I guess. 
Like, she, it looks like she's been here before. Yeah, and it's just, you you assume he gasses the two of them in such a right. quick succession, he's going to move over to her. Right. But then when he doesn't, you're like, does he not even notice that she's yeah, there? Right. When what they lock eyes, it takes a while for him to act. Yeah. Even when she opens the door and he sees she's trying to get away. He, gives he doesn't react with violence, per se. He just reacts again with this. He puts his mask on and he, anyway. Right. So then they wake up. They're in uh, a cellar uh, with, sure. a, with a bathroom. Right. Uh, it's very 10 Cloverfield Lane. I was going to say. Uh, although... I would, you know, I love the way that he shoots them on these two beds. Mm-hmm. He's got uh, Annie Taylor Joy on one, and the other two girls on the other. Mm-hmm. There's this wooden beam on the wall between them, like in case we didn't get. It almost looks like they're in different rooms, sure. and there's like an invisible wall there's splitting. There's a split them. between them. Yeah, split, 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 hashtag split. I was I almost screamed into the mic, but then I decided that wouldn't be funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there we go, much you better. Um, and. And now it's the movie is still scary, obviously, but it yeah. is it is shifting into what a lot of these movies have to do, which is like now for the rules, right? Like yeah. now for the rules of the movie, the rules of the world, mm-hmm. right? And and as we we've all seen the trailer, as we know, he's going to come in. He's Dennis. He's got glasses. He's got this sort of like uh, tightly buttoned shirt. Uh-huh. He's a neat freak. He has this kind of deep voice. Yeah. yeah. OCD. Uh, right. And he's like, oh, come on, you know, and, and then he comes in and he's, uh, is it Patricia? They hear through the keyhole. Hear him talking to a woman, right. And they're like, okay, this one can help us. And she's like, this isn't good. You mustn't do right, this or right, whatever. Right. And they're like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Opens the door. He, it's him in like a red turtleneck. And, and Shyamalan fucking waits a while before he cuts to see him. Right. Like we hear the voice, we see the door opening, and then we see the reactions of the two of them as he starts speaking. It's just good fucking filmmaking. It's fun stuff. Before you see... Wait, what's going on here? He's a lady. Was he talking to himself? Right. Uh, yeah, and she's, Patricia is like, you know, don't worry, you won't be hurt. Uh, everything's fine. She's like, like the He knows arm. not to touch you. Yes, she's yes. She's tough but fair. Right. Great facial gestures for the characterization. McAvoy yeah, is he was doing so an good. extremely good job. Yeah, yeah. he's I so mean, good. For With all- an incredible... You're telling, you're saying Anya Taylor-Joy is a hard role? He's yes. got the most, that's the tough fucking role. For all my misgivings... With this movie, right? Like all, all my my hurdles, I'm still trying to clear. Uh, in in my enjoyment of this film, or, or if, if I can enjoy it, uh, that performance fucking works. Yeah. And the movie falls apart if you don't have someone that committed, going for it that hard, yeah, and that able to create, uh, such fully realized, uh. Personalities, but not without self awareness, not yeah. without humor. He knows what movie he's in. Exactly, it's a very funny performance. It is. It's also equally terrifying. It is. It's very, very good, and uh, it doesn't do any of the tricks I was afraid it would do. Which is essentially when he's like, "No, I'm a nice lady," and then someone's like, "But," and then he like switches and he's like, ah, I'm, "I'm the crazy one now," you know, like he doesn't do any of that. Right. It's and- much more as you learn, like it's much more of a rigorous thing. His his personalities and how they uh, move. He's kind of in one when he's in one, right? And, uh, the, and it's like uh, a process for another one to take the light. Correct. So this is talking about rules that this movie sets up. One of the things you hear early on is, okay, who has the light? I have the light now. Yeah. So it's sort of clear that this internal battle being waged within him, right? Because pretty early on, you also meet Hedwig, who's the little boy. Character. Right. Right. And he's the one who's talking a lot about the light and like. He's the one who's more talking about the rules of the personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're like stifling a yawn here. Yeah, I didn't sleep. Uh, and one thing, I'm sorry. That's fine. And one thing, Claire, the Haley Richardson character, keeps saying is like, 
this is unacceptable. We have to fight back. And ask Antandro. On a Taylor Joy, like, why, we gotta rush this. But guy, I was saying, like, why aren't you freaking out right now? Yeah, and she's just she Annie Taylor Joy is more in this sort of locked in where she's like, we shouldn't do anything that doesn't make any sense. We'll do something when it makes sense. Like okay. right now, he's not hurting us. Let's just let's just. So these are things I wanted to say here because after the movie last night, I couldn't tell if I was overthinking this stuff uh-huh. or because they. I mean, he sets up these breadcrumb moments. The first girl, what's her name? Uh, uh. Sula. Oh, Jessica Sula. Jessica Marcia, Sula. Sorry. Yes. Jessica Sula is the first girl who gets sort of. He grabs taken her, out of the room. pulls her out. But right before he does. And we hear her like screaming. Right before he, he does, Annie Taylor Joy says, pee yourself. Yeah. And then he, she goes out into the room, they hear the screaming, and surprisingly quickly, the door's open and she's thrown back. In. And he's like, ah! Yeah. And she's now peed herself. And she says, he just wanted to dance with me. He wanted me to take off my clothes and dance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you're like, Okay, all of this is weird. Sure. That's weird that, like, Anya Taylor-Joy was that quick that with a solution. In. Right. You know, here's how you save yourself some time. Right, right, right. Not right, save yourself right. time. No, Earn yeah, yourself exactly. some time. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then there's the thing that uh, Haley Lou Richardson says to her where she says, like, oh, no, don't do this. Not now. This isn't the time to do that. Right. Which is in response to her sort of sitting calmly in the room going off into her own world. Yes. Yeah. That's what she's talking about? Yes. One hundred percent. She's talking about the behavior that they were remarking on in the um in the first scene at with the them. birthday party when she's Where it's essentially her. yeah exactly yeah. this girl is a fucking alien like you know she's like a Martian she doesn't right she's uh, angry interact. that exactly. she's yeah. not reacting with right the... that she's locking down essentially in the same way that she seems to do all the time sure. right. and then she says that thing of when I hear something that makes sense I'll tell you yeah but they seem to defer to her on that they like well because she I mean. I mean, I don't know if it's anything more than, like, when someone is the calmest in a crisis situation, sure. you know, they sort of immediately attract your attention. Because they're throwing stupid plans out at her, and she's explaining why they won't work, and she's very reasoned. Right. She's not, like, just being, like, a, a fucking She's not naysayer. like, hey, shut up, fuck you guys. Right. Yeah, no. She's like, no, but you're not thinking about this. Right. This is going to happen. Right, and also she just gets, like, this guy is physically stronger than he looks. You know, he, he can overpower us, essentially. Yes. We can't just overpower him. Right. Right. Yeah, that that's the big thing she saw is I saw him carry your body yeah. in here. This is, like this is nothing, nothing to him. This guy, we're not going to be able to physically fight. Right. Uh, and she also gets that he's OCD because he's he's weird. He's weird about the bathroom. Sure. He's like, giving him all these rules about cleanliness. Right. The blue bottle, the pink bottle, yeah. this is for ceramics, this is for tiles. Right. <laughs> okay, so I think the first Betty Buckley scene happens pretty yeah, so, you yeah. know, me and Joey, I saw this with my brother, and I think we thought, you know, Betty Buckley was going to have maybe a happening-style role, uh, where it's, like, one big chunk where finally you meet Betty Buckley, and she's like, oh, well, here's the deal with him, and she explains. Nope. No, Betty Buckley is, you know, she has, there are two storylines, and she's, one of them is just about her. Yeah, I'd say this movie has three lead characters, yep. and she is one of them. Betty Buckley, who's in The Happening, but she's in lots of She plays the crazy movies. lady who shoots Spencer Breslin in the face in The Happening. Oh, poor Breslin, I forgot. I forgot that he gets it in the face. He gets it in the face. Yeah. Um, and uh, she is uh, Kevin's mm-hmm. psychiatrist. Kevin Allen Crum. Wendell. Wendell. Kevin Crum. Wendell Crum. Okay. Although his name is not revealed till right at the end. Sure. Uh, and Kevin. Kevin is the body, I guess, that houses all these personalities. Yes. And she's. She knows about this. And she's, I guess, whatever. She sort of helps maintain normalcy for him, right? Well, like she's, she's developed a system where one of the personalities is kind of in charge. He goes to work. 
he's like relatively normal. Like mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't get in trouble anymore. Whatever. He's know. super into fashion. Yeah, it's the it's the uh, the the swishy uh, Brooklyny kind of. Uh, I'd say he wasn't swishy. I mean, I'd say to to Shyamalan's credit, he's played as kind of a, a blue collar fashion bro. Sure, but he's he's extroverted. I guess she says. Yeah. I don't know. He's got like sort of a lilting voice. I mean, come on. My favorite personality. Yeah, That's I was favorite? gonna say. I mean, he's like Ben. He's getting into fashion. But of course, what's interesting about it is we quickly realize that's an impersonation of that character. Right, right. And perhaps it's a little too on the nose. We do see that character for real briefly at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but go on. Betty Buckley gets this email from... From him. Right. Saying, I need to see you. But it's it, it's from... The email's written from Barry S. I believe so, yeah. Which is the name which of the fashion guy? Which is the name guy? of the fashion guy, yeah. Okay. He's the main one who emails her. Yeah. Um, And then he shows up. He shows up and he's like, I'm sorry, you know, it's no big deal. Like, I was just a little scared, but I'm fine now. She's like, really? She's like, Seems mm, like, this is weird. Email made it time sensitive. What's right. going on? What's going on? And I get like, you know, just to, like what she's realizing eventually is that while Dennis, who she's only heard about but never met, like one of the bad personalities, is mm-hmm. taking control when he's asleep, quote unquote, or mm-hmm. whatever. The other personalities can, like, seize control of the body briefly and send a frantic email before they're, like, kicked out again. And so right. that's what's happening. And Dennis is trying to just smooth it over by showing up every day at her at her office and being like, no, no, nothing to worry about. I, mean, I the, just got a little anxious. This yeah. movie treats dissociative identity disorder like it's the Eddie Murphy movie Meet Dave. No, it treats it like the like being John Malkovich. It's sure. like they're wrestling for control of one body. Like, you know, it's like they're all housed, but they're all fighting for control of well, that's one That's why body. I said Eddie Murphy movie Meet Dave. I haven't seen Meet Dave. The plot of Meet I Dave. thought Meet Dave was more like uh, Herman's Head or whatever. Where no. It's like, no. Uh, okay, okay. No, the original title of Meet Dave was uh, Spaceship Dave. I remember that. Yeah. It is about- Wasn't it Starship Dave? Yes, Something correct. Like, yeah, yes, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it is about a tiny alien race uh, who all decide to live in a human-sized robot that looks like Eddie Murphy. So he's got a full staff inside of him that are like pulling the levers. Right, right, right. And I like, thought it was like Herman's head. Like one person does the mouth, <laughs> one person does the eyes. I don't no, because it's like they're at a control center. Yeah, like, right. Isn't that what Herman's head is? Herman's head is like inside out. Yeah, Herman's head's like inside out. Right. Yeah. But it's not his feelings. They're like he—he's not a real person. He's like a vehicle. All right. In sure. Starship. Well, Day. I'm a bit of a vehicle if you think about it. Okay. Well, whatever. <laughs> the point is, it's like different people wrestling control the steering wheel. Why did they think Meet Dave was going to be a more marketable title yeah, than Starship Yeah, you know what title Dave? works? Starship Dave. It works explains better what it than is. Meet Dave. Here's Dave. He is himself a Starship. <laughs> yeah. Meet Dave. Okay, nice to meet you. Who else is at this party? God, Dave doesn't seem that interesting to me. A thousand words. Yeah, that was, this was his uh, Brian Robbins trilogy. Yeah. He did three. He did Meet Dave, Norbit. A thousand words. Norbit's Norbit's a fascinating movie. And then he retired from movies. Well, no, because he made Mr. Church, though. Yeah. Mr. Church, though. Mr. Church, though. Mr. Church, though. Watto, though. Watto, though. (laughs) I saw that you pinned the Watto tweet. Yeah. The original one. Uh, Watto fever. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so uh, please feel free to go to twitter.com backslash grifflightning and fave that pinned Watto tweet. Do you know that Mr. Church begins with an open opening title that says inspired by a true friendship? Well, oh, fuck you. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I am not kidding. Oh! <laughs> oh! Have you seen Mr. Church? No. You just heard that? I just knew that. Yeah. Oh! I mean, it's not something you forget. 
Do you know how badly I want Eddie Murphy to have a comeback? And then uh, to see him uh, do shit like that. I don't think Eddie Murphy could have a comeback. He wants he... to make a movie based on a true friendship. <laughs> I'm what rooting if, for him. What if someone made a, a movie about our podcast? They could say it was based on a true friendship. No, they'd say it's based on a two friendship. Hashtag two friends. Congratulations. I set, I set it up. You knocked it out. Hashtag two friends space yep. hip. <laughs> All right. Split. Unbreakable. Unbreakable. <laughs> So, <laughs> this movie's like broken, man. Well, so yeah, so then we're learning the rules in both both storylines. In Betty Buckley's, sure. we're seeing, yeah, like how he functions uh-huh. and how he's sort of like whatever, how they've created a life for him together. And in the basement storyline, we're seeing how obviously it's come apart and how the little boy, Hedwig, yeah. made some alliance with, the more villainous personalities, right? Uh, Dennis and Patricia. Okay, so this is, takes control. You reminded me of the thing I wanted to say. Sure, I wanted to talk about. Uh, he's the, playing real fast and loose with this kind of thing, right? Real fast and loose. Okay. My, my by not well, I'm not. I'm not gonna get into that yet. I will build up to that. Okay. But th- but this is the more immediate thing I want to say. Uh, he is treating it. Like, by all accounts, what in a hotly contested condition, the very nature of disassociative identity disorder, which is an extension of disassociation as a psychological condition, coping through trauma, yes, is that people create alternate personalities, specifically to help them work through certain these things, right? And they are triggered by, you know, whatever instances of right. Well, this is not a movie where people are triggered. He's triggered, but yes, but but. In a way, yes. I mean, they talk a lot about this is entirely a byproduct of his upbringing. That, well, they talk about that with, yes, and especially with Dennis. Dennis is a reaction to his mother's, like, obsessive cleanliness. She would, like, hit the kid or whatever. She was a kid, physically abusive mother. If if the kid, if things were out of place or right. whatever. So, like, that's what Dennis is, I guess. You right. Know. His uh, father left him and his mother beat him. Right. Um, whether or not he had a chemical imbalance to begin with, who knows, but certainly... These uh, personalities were created as a coping mechanism. Sure. In yeah, response whatever. to the various... Well, at least that one was. We, we know, I mean, there's 20 fucking three personalities. We don't meet them all. She kind... No, we don't. No. Uh, she kind of... I forget the exact line, but she seems to imply... like She's at one point like, I understand why this personality exists. You need him to deal with that. Well, right. But what she's trying to do in those scenes is appeal to Dennis's ego. Mm-hmm. like Because she's trying to get Dennis to admit... Yes, this is me. It's not uh, Barry. Right. And she says, you know, I understand you know, she, because she of your thinks childhood, she knows you need someone like that. Uh, yeah. I once again watched this interview with M. Night Shyamalan where he said that he and McAvoy worked on understanding, even if the film doesn't explain it. Right. What all the personalities reflect. Yes. Right. And what, what they are response to. Okay. I mean, I'm sure that's true, but at the same time. Uh, I wonder if they put equal thought into every one. No, right. no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah. there are a couple you see in the video diaries at the end that are like, okay, that's that's like an improv scene where you're playing ding, and it's like you have to come up with another one, you have to come up with exactly. another one, yeah. uh, which we will reflect at the end of this episode in, yep. a, in a very special surprise for all of you. Um, but uh, this, mo- the reason I bring up the fucking Meet Dave analogy is that this movie treats it like, Rather than just being like sides of him that come out, you know, personas that come out in response to things, that it's literally like someone being like, hey, do you mind if I get the wheel for like a second? 
and then one of the personalities yes. just literally goes to sleep That's inside his head. It's like, like they're all in an apartment and they go to sleep and the other one wakes up. That's what up. I'm saying. It's like science fiction. This is right. science fiction. It is right. It has its own weird logic and rules. But then we have a therapist who is constantly yes, yes, applying everything he's saying to real psychiatric study. Okay, you've made your point on that case. I mean, right? I mean, is there more to say? Yes, they use the real name of a disorder. A very hotly debated disorder. But but keep I mean she, some people don't think even exists. I should point out. Some people. A lot. A lot of psychiatrists I think are very they they don't think it's like it's really a disorder as more as it it's like sort of variations on other disorders. Some people think it's symptomatic. Right. People Some people think it's therapist created. Sure. Some people think it, like through act outs and like in therapy sessions. Yes, right. Um, in the same way people sort of some people are very suspicious of like regression therapy and hypnotic you know recalling of buried memories things like that I I don't subscribe to that Uh like I'm not a truther who believes it doesn't exist sure sure sure. I do believe it's something that exists in a very uh, nebulous form and may be in fact a lassoing of several different things together it's not a bunch of people live in one memory palace and literally go like okay I have 4 to 630 then you're gonna take but in this movie, this comic book movie, right? that's how it works. So I'm watching it and I'm going, she's set up as kind of an unreliable narrator. There's For a sure. scene of her with her, not that she's the narrator, but you know what I'm saying, as an yeah, unreliable I mean, psychiatrist, because she's the one who's giving us the medical back. Well, she's the one, I mean, it's like any of these, like genre, like a lot of genre movies, she's like this, the scientist who's like, no, 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 it, it all makes sense. Don't right. worry. I've created safeguards. Like I know exactly how this works, and nothing's gonna. I promise you. Like I, I, I nothing's gonna go wrong. You know. Sure. She's in the in in the uh, nuclear power plant, being like, it's not the China syndrome. Don't worry. It's just it's just a faulty little tap here. Like it's fine. I'm gonna fix it. You know. Right. Yeah. You know because she she's so resolute in her belief that like it's gonna be okay, and she gets how to deal with this guy that she goes into his his death basement with him. And only like halfway through realizes yes. like I may not have total control of this situation. Right. Which <laughs> made me think while watching it, well, she's clearly wrong. The arc they're setting up here clearly is that she's wrong. And not just that she's wrong and that she trusts him too much and it's gonna lead to her death, but that she's wrong in the sense she's totally uh uh, you know, misdiagnosed who he is and what he is. Mm. Which is where in the sort of comic booky tradition, I thought they were gonna reveal oh, no, he's not someone with disassociative identity disorder. He is someone who experienced this, and this is his brain evolved to this point. Well, that's kind of what it is. Kind of. Yeah. Well, the thing is, she doesn't believe in the beast. No. And the reason that we learn that this is all happening is that Dennis and Patricia believe that this new personality, the beast, is coming. And he's going to whatever, take over the body, and in their opinion, like, improve it. And uh, to her, like, as a mental health, professional however you might want to put it uh she's like no no that's just you know that's your worst fears that's your nightmare that's just scary stories and that's what these more aggressive personalities are just using as an excuse to you know to take over right and she's like you know how you know the beast isn't real he's not in there with you guys. exactly and yeah. they're like we saw him at a train station once. right and she's like yeah but your train station that's, that's where your like father the bad left place. you. Yes, yes, that's yes, the yes. trigger place. Yes. So that's that's just you, uh, you know, thinking the worst essentially. Right. Yeah. But then the other thing she gets to here is that, or that the movie gets to here, is that um, the beast represents a physiological change. When she asks him what the beast looks like, because 
and he's bigger, right? Much he's bigger muscular, than I am. He he's taller. Climb the wall. Yeah, I think they say his long hair. Uh, long fingers. Okay, right. Yeah, I don't think anything about hair, but long fingers, muscular, can yeah. climb the walls. Right. Uh, use it, and she says it in very detail, but it's like, you know, micro abrasions in the walls, like somehow can cling to them, like sure. And someone's done this before, right? Uh, wall crawling super freak? No. No, but you know what I mean? Like, one of these things where it's like someone explains how it all works before it happens. I, I'm trying, this sort of, pseudoscience, essentially, is what I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Now I have to think through his sure. movies. Sure. I mean, doesn't The Visit kind of do that? With the Visit kind of does it. Yeah. But then, of course, in The Visit, it turns out, yeah, it's not them. Right. Um, you know, they are. Spoilers for the visit. Yeah. yeah. They, they're just crazy people from the I mean, this uh, is insane a thing, asylum. Yes. This is a thing that I like when movies do, when they when they sort of give you the guideline. They explain to you how it's going to go down so that when the thing goes down, it can exist in purely visual terms. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of that. Me too. That's what I, then, right. And that's what I'm trying to figure out if you pulled that trope before. I feel he did, but I can't think of what. Yeah. What is it? I don't know. I mean, I guess... <laughs> Unbreakable kind of does Lady that with him being able to. Yeah, right, exactly. Scrunch. Yes, Scrunch. Yes, Scrunch, uh, breakable. Um, so there, th- the other thing that's happening here, well, we may be going out of order a little bit, yeah. but there, there's the scene where Betty Buckley talks to her next door neighbor. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty early in the movie. I would say that's probably after the first meeting with Kevin. I think it might McAvoy. be the second. It's mm-hmm. the first or the second, what, what have you. And I was already kind of impressed by the movie just because, like, you know, especially seeing someone like 10 Cloverfield Lane. You know, three girls wake up underground in a bunker in a locked room. Here's a dude with a great sweater collection and 23 personalities, right? Hey, man. Hey man. And you expect that the rest of the movie is going to be like bottle movie. In torture, this basement. Psychological torture. Right. Yeah. And then like 10 minutes later, he leaves, goes outside, gets a cab, <laughs> goes to his therapist. He's in a different setting. Yeah. Like he's going about his day. Right. And that's uh, already I was like. Hmm, interesting, interesting move Shyamalan's doing, right? right He's right. throwing this movie off the hump, yeah. so to speak. Um, he goes, has a couple therapy sessions with her where he's like, yeah, disregard that email, disregard that email. Right, and by the second one, she's she's on to him. She's on For to sure. Him. Yeah. Right. And she uh, goes to see her friend. Next door. No, well, oh, she, okay, fine, go ahead. What, what about the next door neighbor? Which, oh, by the way, Sterling K. Brown's role was going to be that he was... Who he was another psychiatrist who lived next door. That's what I figured. That he was going to be yeah. some kind of a, a fellow mental health professional who maybe disagreed with her. Or yes, yeah. that's what it was going to be. But yeah. then there was also a sense of a romantic attachment to him that he wanted to counterpoint to show how lonely Betty Buckley's character was by showing her lusting after a character she couldn't be with. But then also the intellectual battle between the two of them. Right. He said. I mean, he said the first cut of the movie was three hours long. <laughs> There was like 30 minutes of Sterling K. Brown that they cut out entirely because he was just like, I shouldn't have written this. This is a distraction from what's actually yeah. going on in the movie. Yeah. The movie's two hours long, in my opinion. It's too long. I agree. Uh, you know, just with a kind of movie like this, it really should just be 90 minutes, 100 tops. Like, you know, the, these movies should be as short as possible. Like, and I agree. It's just a little too long. I mean, I, it didn't really hurt the movie for me. I was uh, on board the whole time and pretty tense the whole time. Like, it's not... But yeah. it's it's long. It's longer than a movie like this usually is. So she talks Although, to, like, the fucking Conjuring 2 is two and a half hours long. Yeah, Conjuring you know, or, and, and Conjuring like, 1. Like, you yeah. know, some of these movies can really live in it. And this movie's basically successful. Like, not to go into a Conjuring cyber, but I think the difference between the Conjuring movies and something like this is that the Conjuring movies, to their credit, want to have full emotional character arcs for 
for the the Ghostbusters and the villain and the and the, right. the haunted. It essentially is like get you a movie that can do both. Like it's their uh, the struggles of maintaining a good marriage movies right. and horror movies. So right. it kind of needs two hours to be able to run both. Films. No beef, no beef. Um, Split though. The scene with the next door neighbor, mm-hmm. she goes to talk to, who's a woman who can't stop ordering stuff online. Uh, yeah, baddie old lady. Right. Uh, and she's like, why do you believe in these people? You know, wh- wh- why do you put in the time? That guy seems on the, whatever. I think that's when this idea is introduced. Betty Buckley is, starts tiptoeing around this thing where she's like, what if they're not the broken people? Right. Like, we look at them functioning differently than us, and we think they're a broken version of what they're supposed to be. Right. What if they're actually an evolution? Right. What if they're the next step forward? Right. And you're like, huh, interesting. This makes me think that he is not what she's saying he is, that he's some other thing, right? Sure. And I couldn't put my finger on it. I was like, I don't think M. Night's going to make him an alien or something, but maybe it's like, because it's a little neat to be like, his mom beat him, and now he has 23 personalities, but one of them is a monster man. Sure. You know? Yeah. So I was like, maybe radioactive waste? Like, I was thinking, like, is uh-huh. he going to go into some comic booky territory uh-huh. where there's some weird science fiction explanation for it that isn't psychological trauma? Uh-huh. He doesn't. No, but he is going with that idea. Right, that he does exist in that sort of vein now, without, while I, having I a very straightforward backstory that would result in that kind of condition. Now, I don't think the movie thinks that he is the next step in human evolution, but the movie thinks he thinks it and that she thinks it. How does the movie not think that when the movie— Bruce Willis is going to go kill him. Right, because he is an unbreakable, and right. not an unbreakable in the sense that he's unbreakable, but that he's one of these— Oh, you're saying, well, Bruce Willis is on the... Well, I guess I put it this way. doesn't think it's a good thing. That's more what I mean. No, it doesn't right, mean right, it's a good right, thing. Right. No, 100% not. Right. But, but I she think... kind of thinks it might be a good thing. Sure. Right. But it is definitely a thing. I think the movie is arguing that the broken people are actually not broken. They're superpowered. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, forged in trauma, much like Bruce Willis is. Well... Except he's forged in physical trauma. Thank you. Yeah. And also, uh, he had it from birth. Yeah, is it birth? The I... implication in Unbreakable is that he didn't realize he had it until he survived the car crash. But after the car crash, he psychosomatically told himself that he had broken his back. Right, but the didn't. car crash is when he's a teenager. Anyway, it doesn't matter. In Unbreakable, yeah. uh, he's never been sick. The only time he ever had it was drowning in the pool when he was a kid, so he had it from the beginning. Yeah. And same with Mr. Glass, who had it from the beginning. Yeah. And then this movie comes at an absolutely opposite track, uh-huh. When Unbreakable, was... both the good guy and the bad guy are presented as some people are physically born in a weird way. Okay, sometimes well, it's good, right, sometimes here's, it's bad. No, here's my counter to you. Yeah. Maybe not. Go on. Like, you know, sh- yes, he suffered, you know, at the hands of his mother, right? You know, but is that a coincidence? You're saying? Uh, maybe that's what made things bad for him. But like, maybe he already was someone who had a weird memory palace that a bunch of things could live in and, like, you know, eventually, like, if he hung out with animals too much, <laughs> that they would start to live there, too. Maybe he's some sort of, like, an empath or a, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like a, yes. a memory sponge, okay. whatever. Someone right. who can, like, absorb. Because, like, look, right at the end of the movie, they drop this idea that the beast is an amalgamation of all the animals near him. Which comes out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> well, yes and no. and But, like, so then it's, like, that is sort of the rewriting of... The rules where it's like, oh, no, this isn't like exactly forged by psychiatric trauma. This seems to be like a power. 
Right. Right. Oh, God. We, I, we'll get back into the plot of the movie. I mean, well, I mean, it's kind of just survival at that point. I mean, let's say the one major hook of the movie, which is like the best hook the movie has, is uh, Anya Taylor-Joy figures out that she might be able to use some of the personalities to help her against the personalities that of course. rehearsal. Right, right. That it's like she's... she starts to make friends with Hedwig, the the little right. boy. Right. And uh Hedwig helps her understand certain things and eventually like she steals a walkie talking from him, you know, this that stuff. But can she negotiate with the personalities right. and can this one human body right. that kidnapped her help also her be the end. one that sets yeah, her free? Exactly. Um that's the biggest hook the movie has that kind of ends up not really being what the movie's about. No, um, but it is the tension, I guess, of the the middle third, especially of the movie. Sure. Um, but but it's also a way for us to learn more about how everything works. Right. Now the other big thing, because the just other big thing get is the flashbacks. T- right. Okay. So right. there are these flashbacks. Are, I mean, again, look, props to M Night. They're beautifully done. They're so menacing and odd. Yeah, they're really well done. Uh, you got Brad Henke as her uncle uh, uh, from Draft Day, of course. We all remember him as uh, I mean, Tony Bagel on Draft Day. Is that his name? Yeah. Bagel? I think his name is like Tony Bigali, but they call uh, him like Tony, Tony, Tony Bagel. Bagel Bigali. Uh, who's the dad? Uh, uh, Sebastian. I didn't recognize him. Ar- 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 Ariculus. Ar- Ar- who? I vaguely recognized him. He's in House of Cards. I see. Okay. All right. All oh, right. He was in a couple leftovers. Yeah. All right. Okay. He's been in some stuff. So all the flashbacks, save for the last one, all take place within one day of her life. It seems, yeah. One traumatizing day of her life that starts with. They're her, on a camping trip, her right. and her dad and her uncle. And it's her getting lunch with the uncle and the dad. And she's learning how to hunt. It's set up in a very creepy way. He's kind of using the Jonathan Demi, Sansa the Lambs, like staring down the lens. The uncle shots are weird. It's like this wide-angle lens, and he looks kind of distorted. It looks gorgeous, too. It's like this yeah. like really bright oranges in the, you know, because it's like autumnal. Yeah. Yes. And uh, it just it looks like a dream. Is the best way to put it's it. It's hyper real. And Brad William Henke's a big he's guy. He's a big guy. I mean, he's right. well cast. I mean, you know, that's and the kind of role Brad William Henke's always playing. He's got extreme you know, facial Gentle giants right. or scary giants. And in the opening scene, he's set up as sort of this funny uncle. The dad's taking the piss out of him, talking about shitting on him for his hunting thing. This is clearly a hunting trip where the dad's trying to get the daughter into hunting. And I would buck. say, at least initially, I'm like, oh, are we going to learn that there's something like that the daughter is some kind of a, I don't know. That's what I thought as well. Expert hunter, crazy, uh, like that. They get she has her own psychosis. That's not what I, not what it turns out no, to be. But I was thinking along the same lines as we said. You know, both of us. I think, essentially that is she like a psychopath, you know, right. or something like that. Yes, because we sat there watching this movie. I think both of us, as you said, we were not together. No, you rejected me. I didn't reject you. you rejected I chose me. Benny. Mm, okay, and in doing so, rejected me because I thought. It would be fun to watch Ben's reaction, and in reality, I think it ended up being Ben watching my reaction. Right. Yeah, was it was pretty still the whole movie. It's definitely the other way around. I yeah. was sort of just ben, like Ben's, oh, a, Ben's usually like a pretty still watcher of things. Thinking about uh, the great picture that I took of him at Taruk the first slice. Sure, he's thoughtful, but then Rogue One, he was like pumping his. <laughs> That's face, like, true. Right? Rogue One, he was he was all the way in. Yeah, I was like pumped. I was excited. It's pumped. I also didn't want to leave Benny alone. I knew that you. you see, yeah, I know. I know. That's the. We're going to go with Joe and Joe. You went with your brother and Joe Reed. Joe Reed was there. Right. Richard Lawson was there. Right. When we were sitting together. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to make Ben have to see Split alone. Um, yeah. No, I appreciate that. Hey, anytime, buddy. That's what made sense. But I wanted to get it, you ain't. I know. Rake me over the calls. It's fine. Um, yeah. And then with these flashbacks, we learn that it's no, the, it's the uncle was abusing her. You know? Right. And so the, all the flashbacks are to this one day. 
when they went on this hunting trip and the uncle sort of started grooming her, leading to this moment that is so upsetting and so disturbing. Yep. And again, very well done by Shyamalan, you know. Look, I certainly am fighting over whether or not I think it was the right move for him to do as a storyteller, but in terms of execution right. of what he intended to do, exactly, right. it's beautifully executed. <sighs> the uncle's hiding behind a rock, he's naked. Yeah, and, and he's, he's like, let's be animals let's together. Be animals yeah, animals doing... don't wear clothes, why are you wearing clothes? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, without... Uh, Showing anything, it yeah. tells you everything, and it leaves I, a pit in your stomach. But I will admit, yeah, I'm so, I, this is where I'm like, I, I just have that Shyamalan dread, you know, that yes. I've had with so many of these movies where I'm like, yeah, too much paprika. He's, you know, this is, I don't know if he can pull this off. This is really difficult stuff, and he's, you know, he's being Shyamalan about it. Well, it's also like, stop using fucking rape and molestation I, I, as a I, I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, like, this is a schlocky B-horror movie, and of course, like, those are such core tenets, you know, I, I, I but I get both sides. I and really I'm, do. like, a big proponent. Like, I've always been, like, you know, I, I don't think you can blame the artist for how people could misinterpret the message, right? Well, of course not. If no. you're playing with fire... Depiction does not equal endorsement. Exactly, which I think is a conversation that doesn't happen enough in our culture today. If something bad happens on screen, people assume that the person likes that thing. Right. And it drives me fucking insane. Because movies should be allowed uh, to be uh, muddied and complicated and exist in gray areas. Yeah. And uh, if you're a fucking uh, literate person, you can sit there and probably parse out the intent. And, uh, you know, you, you can't really say anything of any value without actually delving into the dark side of it. Right. I think. I agree. Um, but this gets into the sort of Flockmeister thing of just, like, using, pushing buttons for the sake of just, like, playing the symphony, you know? Yeah. You got to hit every key on the piano. Yeah. Um, especially when you're dealing with child sexual abuse, you know? Amen. And when you're waiting for, like, Okay, but this is M. Night. Is there some puzzle piece? Is there some reason why this experience is going to align perfectly with everything the movie was doing so that it results in an ending that couldn't have happened if this wasn't the case? Uh And not really, kind of. Uh, You know, I mean, he was always going to have her be traumatized in some way because the point of the ending is that in her, the beast sees a kindred spirit rather so than something to, to be opposed. There. I don't know. I mean, that's where he went, you know. So you're I mean, watching... I'm not someone who watches a movie and says, like, I mean, this is a joke. It's an old Scott Arkman joke, but I feel like we've made it on the yeah. podcast before where it's like, you know, you there's some detail about the movie you don't like, so you're like, ah, I like West Side Story, but, like, do they have to dance all the time? You know, whatever. You know, like, just... <laughs> um, you know, that's what's in the movie. And I, in yeah. general, I agree... Uh, that this shit's a crutch a lot of the time. Your procedural TV shows, yeah. your crime shows, and especially your whatever. You yeah. Uh, where so often it's just sort of this tossed off excuse or whatever, right? You know what yes. I mean? Like, uh, oh, and, you know, the reason this guy was uh, is because blah, and, like, you get one minute of time to well, vote And then you just it. go, like, well, of course, we all agree that's bad. Sure, right. You right, know, right, it's right. like we all agree that's bad, and it's in a way to immediately register uh, sympathy and empathy for a character. And also raise the stakes and, like, deepen the dramatic investment. Because now everyone's uneasy. Yeah. It always gets you fucking emotionally riled up. <sighs> it's In some true. way or another, if that's, that happens in a that's movie. That's a, you know, yeah, right. You're pushing a big red button. And, of course, right, I'm not going to, you know, be like, 
oh, fuck her. You know, like, yeah, it's like, it's it's too easy. Either yeah. it's going to get the response they want out of you or you're going to be angry that they used it in an abusive way. Right. In, a, in, a, in a cheap way. Either way, no one sits there and goes like, you know, it's like it's always so this like, is, ugh. So I would say, yeah, this is the, and this is the thing. But then the, the unbreakable twist, again, because I realized we were just playing in a different pool, I was like, oh, okay, okay. And uh, maybe I'm a big asshole for, but, for being that But way. here's a big scene I want to talk about, okay? Mm. I know we're jumping around, but well, I mean, the movie's done pretty much just survival. So, I mean, it's her trying to get out. and she. There's some great yeah. miniature scenes, but we can't do them all. Like, no. you know. But there's lots of good scenes, and McAvoy's always great. And look, you know? if you're listening to this podcast, you saw this movie yeah, this right. weekend. You don't need us to fucking do the right. synopsis. So, so let's keep on talking about these things, right? Okay, so the scene for me, all these flashbacks happen on the same day. Then the flashback that happens, I think, right after she gets out. Right? She watches the video of his video diaries. You see bits of some of the other personalities. Yep. She's smart. Oh, she sees the key. She finds it. He's turned into the beast at this point. He goes yep. to the train station with the flowers, which is... But he's trying to reenact his father, yeah. yeah. And then once on the that's train, that's what activates this final transformation, right? And he's on the abandoned train, he's and on then an he empty takes off train, his clothes, and train. his muscles get. He sort of grows slightly, he gets although swole. it's mostly uh, just the acting. I would say there's not too much embellishment. I agree. They CGI like veins on. They CGI him. some blue veins, but I mean, apart from that, he doesn't really actually look that different. It's not like he hulks up. No, exactly. yeah, I could have used a horn or two. All right. Just one <laughs> or two. Um, he comes back. Now he's the beast, and now he he's climbing the walls. Climbing walls That's a pretty good image. Agreed. Pretty fucking scary. Also, he eats people's tummies. He eats their tummies up. Yum yum yum. Okay, so I have a lot of things to say. Delicious tummy. Do you think that he eats their personalities? Thank you. Yeah. Isn't that the idea? That's what okay. he says. Does he? Yes. He says that multiple times. Like that, the weak will be more personalities for him. So do you think that that is all he has ever been? I don't know. You mean like, is this like a Siler in Heroes where he had to eat their brains to get their powers? Yes. I don't know. Like, you think like... Is he not someone with dissociative uh, identity disorder? But someone who Is he essentially eats. the cannibal version of Rogue? I don't think so. I think that... I think that the but you know what I mean by the cannibal version of Rogue? I do know what you mean by the cannibal version of Rogue. Although usually she did not retain the powers. That's why we're Only Miss Marvel because she held on too long. Do you remember um, that time I was talking to you about... About Dark Phoenix Saga? Yeah. And that's why we're friends. I know. Can I tell the story really quick? I think you've told it on this podcast before. Have I really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. About Mulaney. I got fired off Mulaney the sitcom. I'm pretty sure you've told this... And David texted me and said, how are you feeling? And I said, well, when the show wasn't picked up, it felt like I was Cyclops, and the show was Jean Grey, and my girlfriend died. And now it feels like the Dark Phoenix Saga where my girlfriend's come back to life and now she wants to kill me. And you said... Mm -hmm. Go ahead. This we should is, be friends. We should, this is why we should be friends. This is why we should be friends. Uh, that you, that you can drop that reference, uh, and I'm obviously completely understanding. We became the two friends. We'd only hung out once before that. Uh, we'd only hung out the one time. And then we became the two friends. Los dos amigos. So, Split. Split, though. Uh, uh, no, the way, and I, I only saw the movie once, and I saw it a few here. days ago, uh, but I'm pretty sure that the logic of the film is the Beast's whole, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, Position, what I'm looking at, platform. Okay. Is we need more personality. Also, ProSmiths. Uh, of course, he's He's running on a ProSmiths platform. We should mention that. <sighs> if only we had a ProSmith president. <sighs> okay. We do not. 
Yeah, no bits. This is going to be a no bits president. I'm sorry, you were saying the beast platform. Yeah, is that we need more personalities, and that's Correct. why the idea we and we hear overheard that he has been stalking these women for weeks. Right, uh, Claire and, and he was looking Marcia. for blank vassals. He needs is that yeah. He wants yeah. essentially who he thinks are. It's like uh, he, there's a word he uses worthless. For it. Yeah, but I mean, but it's there's another like less where it's like the unclean, I mean, the untainted, or I don't know, like yeah. There are a lot of like. There's a lot of uh, Again, vocabulary this, in this way. The horde is a thing that he's the horde. brought up. The horde is like okay, so that's shorthand for that's his supervillain name. The group, yes. Well, it becomes a supervillain name. But I early know. in the film, he refers to like the horde are all fighting over this. And yes. It's like okay, so that's what he calls the starship Dave inside of him. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, it's the idea. It's feeding into the thing that I was already talking about. The sort of like, you know, these these people in their pathetic suburban middle class lives. You sure. know they're nothing to him. He might, you know, like, that's right. He's the next step in evolution, so he's just going to, you know, use them as personality food. So the personalities he has up until now are actual... I believe so. Right. They're, they're uh, you know, personas that he built in response to his traumatic childhood as a coping mechanism. But now, from here on out, his personalities are going to be souls he eats through Ritual the Ritual sacrifice. I don't know. It's like it's it's but both. It means they're like sacrifices. They're like food. Like I don't know yes. if they're gonna then hang out in his brain. I don't. That's what I'm asking. Look, he doesn't say he's too busy being like. Rah! He doesn't. The movie drops a lot of shit. He eats right some at the tummies. Fucking end like that. Tummies. Yeah. Eat some tummies. Now we see a very brief shot of a, a tummyless corpse. I believe it's Haley Richardson's. I can't right. remember who's. Well, one, it's, one a, of the it's, two. it's the other one. But it's then a, Jessica Sula. Right. Jessica Sula. But then um, I'd say the one jump scare in the movie is. She opens the door and Hale Lou Richardson's lying on the ground. She goes, come on, why? we need to leave right now. And then there's a she gets jump. Pulled she back. gets yoinked. Yeah, right. But it's sort of a mild jump. But yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's the closest thing to like a yeah. conventional jump. But it's not like one of those jump, those those kinds of jumps that you see in the movies where they get pulled back by a super, like, you know, they get like yeah. whisked back with super, na- like, right. it just seems like she's getting pulled back by a person. Ding, ding, it- ding, 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 ding. So, um, yes. Okay, fine. Ah! Um, I, <laughs> he waited for me to put my headphones back yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, I. <laughs> so so everything's going to shit. She's the only one who survives. Uh, he's chasing her. She ends up in a cage. Uh, she thinks he's about to. Yeah, she's got a shotgun. She shoots at him. Okay. Well. Oh, uh, wait oh, a I'm second. Sorry, yes, Betty uh, Buckley comes down there. Right. Betty Buckley comes down there in an attempt to. Uh, fix this problem that she sees developing. Right. So she's talking to Dennis and about halfway through her conversation with Dennis, she realizes like this beast shit is for real. And how does she figure out that that the other guy is actually Dennis playing the the fashion guy? Um well there's we almost forgot about it. I mean, can't believe we almost forgot about it. Yeah. Do you remember now? Which thing? When the she, M. Knight M. Knight's cameo. cameo. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. He M. Knight, he was so Shyamalan's funny. Oh, Based on a true friendship. Oh, my God. <laughs> As I believe he's called Hooters Lover in the credits. His character name <laughs> is Jai, Hooters Lover. <laughs> yeah. Where she uh, looks at the surveillance footage afterwards of him leaving uh, her office with Jai, who is... Yeah. Uh, pizza delivery guy or something. I, I can't remember. Maybe yeah, he's Hooters like the lover. super, but he yeah, loves Hooters. The they talk about Hooters. And she sees him walk straight through the garbage and she realizes like there's some overturned garbage. Oh. She's like, oh, that's too cute. Like people would walk around garbage. He's trying to act like he doesn't care. Yes. And uh, it's too obvious. He's it's got OCD, It's actually quite a clever little. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Um, but yeah, no. And then she figures out it's Dennis, and she talks to Dennis in her office. He admits by flattering him. It. That's when he tells him the beast thing, all of that. You know, and the idea we begin to realize is that Patricia, the nicer one, is kind of like a fanatic. Like she's sort of yeah. almost like a religious type. She's a zealot. Exactly, and so she believes in the beast as well, just sort of in a sort of a different way. Sure. Um, and yeah, so Betty Buckley goes down there, realizes that he is he has kidnapped people. Right. And starts to plead with him like this is no good. Yeah. And then tries to get out of there, stuffs a handkerchief into a door. So that the door can be open. Mm-hmm. The lock will never activate. Uh, and uh, and then he just grabs her and Puts kills her. Puts her in a room, too. No, he kills her. He grabs her and he squeezes her. Oh, right. Yes, yes. Uh, that moment's actually very good. Very effective. Very effective. It's a very good death scene. Yes. Um, but that's after she sees, yeah, she opens the door. She She's seen the, the tummy. Right, she tries to get him out. Um, tummy tuck. Oh, boy. Um, but, yeah, and so, yeah, but uh, at that point, um, briefly after that, that causes, oh, well, she writes his real name down. Say his name. Right, and she, so, Annie Taylor-Joy says his name, which Beetlejuice, we've learned Beetlejuice, earlier Beetlejuice. is, like, a way to essentially just sort of set off chaos. Right, so Weirdly, it's bye-bye, man. Uh, um, and so that uh, was a topical joke for you. Thank you. Yeah, man. really topical. So, do uh, I get any points? Or? Yeah, you get five topical points. <laughs> it wasn't funny, five, but bye, it was bye topical. Points. Yeah, bye bye, Benny. Uh, so, oh, so, no. um, uh, Barry briefly emerges, the real Barry, and just says to Annie Taylor Joy, he sees like the Betty Buckley's dead. Yes, and says, "Just kill me. Just, just kill me. There's a shotgun here. Just kill me." And he goes, "It's still like November 2014, right?" And she's like, "No." And he's like, "Okay, I haven't been controlling a long time." I don't know what the fuck's going on, but I know it can't be good. Kill me no. right the fuck now. Yeah. And so she gets the shotgun, and in this showdown where he is the beast and he's chasing her around, uh, she shoots him. It doesn't kill him. No. And you think he's, like, he comes up to the cage, and he's, like, prying the bars open. Teeth are all bloody. Okay, and now I have to pause. I have to pause. There are a few things we have to talk about Okay. before getting to this moment because there are things the films have set, things that the film all right, has what? set up. What? Okay, one is, that scene where he's saying, please shoot me, please shoot me, plays like a fucking Wolfman scene, right? Mm-hmm. It's that sort of horror yeah, movie right, trope. Yeah, right, I can't believe it I, that I've done these things, yeah. Right. I have no control over right. this. I know I can't control this. Right. You have to take me out. Which then gets into Kind more... of a Dark Phoenix saga thing. Yes. Kill me, Scott. And that's why we're friends. Um, and uh, David just lovingly smiled. Uh, but I can barely see the smile from behind the microphone. Um it's playing with this being more of a sort of possession than a mental illness. Well, because, well, but it, it's, well, Dennis and uh, Patricia, they're not good. Right. Right. But it's like, for, if he hasn't been in his own brain in two to three years, mm-hmm. you know, this goes beyond, this is when I thought they were going to make it very clear that like, okay, that diagnosis was a hundred percent wrong. This woman's a quack. And we had the scene previously of her Skyping into the psychiatric conference Everyone being like, what's your proof? And she's like, dogs react differently. And yeah, like, she gives this sort of thing where it's like, well, some people with DID, like one of their personalities has diabetes in the, or well, that's actually in the movie, but like one of their personalities has like high blood pressure and the other yes. does not. You right. Know, right, how do you explain that? Uh, right. And it's that thing he's doing like in the visit where he's taken a nugget of science and, you know, spun it into an extreme version. Right, so like he's trying to, I feel like, have his cake and eat it too. Oh, oh my God. David's showing me the panels from the Dark Phoenix saga. He's trying to have his cake and eat it, too, because it's like, if you're going to play this fast and lose them, why don't you just explain that that isn't what is going on here? That that it was a misinterpretation, any way that this tracked with the ID. Because if you want really more exploration, yeah, all right, okay. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, yeah, you have to sort of pick up on the, the world building at this point, I guess. Yeah. No one sits down and says, ah, it wasn't the ID, after 
Well, wrong. hey, I got a question. Right. How right. is he getting away with living in a zoo? Well, he works there. He's the maintenance guy, yeah. and they just don't check the basement at all? Why would but, you check that basement? It looks lame. Okay, so wait. That's the uh, Okay, fine. This fine. is the other important thing I need to bring into the picture before we talk about the last five minutes of this movie, okay? The final two flashbacks. Uh-huh. All the flashbacks have taken place within the one day within the uh-huh. camping trip. The second-to-last flashback is her taking out a shotgun and pointing it at the officer. Yes. And not firing. Right. But her and looking- he takes it back. He take, grabs it from her. Yeah. Right. So you go like, that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. That's kind of ominous. Sure. Now suddenly there's a shotgun. Uh-huh. Well, there'd been a shotgun in every other scene. There's, I mean, a weapon. A hunting rifle. No, I'm saying yeah. now suddenly back in the main oh, sure, timeline. Sure. Okay, okay, okay. She said the name. He goes, please kill me. There's the shotgun. She has the shotgun. And you're like, what was the mirror? Okay, what is he setting up here? Because uh-huh. you're you're twist hunting. You're, okay, I'm not, okay. You're and forward. then what happens? Carry on, carry on. She shoots him twice. Yeah. And then, okay, why What? Why was the final? Why was that flashback in there? Just to show that she knows how to work a shotgun? Well, no, my guess is yes. And, yes, and that it's also a triggering Because she does load because, and unload right. the shotgun with ease. But no. Uh, it, you know, the end of the movie is that she's going to finally tell the police what her uncle is doing. And so my guess is that this is where, you know, she now finally has the courage to defend the herself. the thing that she couldn't have done yes. when she was younger? Because, like, my uh, interpretation of the final shot yeah. of her that I don't think is a wrong interpret, Like, I don't think it's, like, a wacky interpretation. She's building up the courage to yes. say. Because the, the cops say, your uncle's here. Do you want to go? You know, do you, you want to go get her? You know, like... Which, and she just doesn't say anything, freezes, looks at the cop, and the cop sort of like hovers with like a concerned look on their face. And you're, you know, she's going to say, I'm like, I'm not safe with him. Okay. So at this point in the film, James McAvoy has, in trying to chase her down and biting her leg, ripped off her clothes so that many of the various layers she is wearing have been revealed. Well, and also, is now- we should say Dennis's whole thing had, throughout the movie has been like, if something gets dirty, take it off. Yes. So. Haley Richardson has to take off her sweater. She's Impure, wearing nothing unclean. but a bra right. underneath her sweater. Right. Uh, Jessica um, Sula has to Sula. take off yeah. her uh, her skirt, and so she's just wearing like underwear. Like you know, both of them are lightly, you know, uh, lightly clothed. Which is the first time. For and someone... it's sort of like you know, girl in a basement trope shit. But someone, to his credit, does not do any of the you know gross torture porny stuff for a yeah. guy who's known as a horror filmmaker he has never before he's never been a sexploitative director but not even that the most basic trope which is like you know crazy monster or person yeah. chasing scantily clad girls in their underwear girl, who are going ah dusty like, yeah. corridors you know dark grimy sure, sure. whatever final girls or whatever. he's never been doing final girl shit and this movie definitely gets to this like kind of final girl showdown right where now her layers have been ripped off and you see for the first time he looks and there's a dramatic Sort of, but I was just gonna say, body. she's taken off a lot of her clothes right. throughout the movie, but always to reveal that she has like another yeah. shirt on, another shirt on below that. Like, she's got a lot of layers on. So now we see that she has scarring all over her body, uh, on, on her tummy, and on her shoulder, and on her shoulder. Yeah, in several spots, she yes, has pretty yes, deep yes, scarring. Yes. She self harms. Okay, yes, um, upsetting, sure, you know, yeah. Uh, upsetting because uh, that's upsetting if people do that. You know, when yeah. people do that, it's it's right. feel for them. Yes. Also upsetting because you're like, do you really need to play that card right now? He's playing the card. But that's the visual The idea shorthand. is that, tr- that trips for him a recognition. Like, oh, you're not whatever category those other girls were. You know, like you are. You're like me. Yeah. You're, you've suffered, so that makes yes. you pure. The only good people are the people who have experienced severe pain. Trauma. Yeah, right. Okay, so he's a villain who doesn't like people who right. 
haven't lived through terrible things. Right. But people who have lived through terrible things. Right. They're like going to be in his army of the future. Does she have any powers? No. You think definitively not? Yeah, for sure. Definitively not. His reactions to her are so strange throughout the movie, even the way he just kind of doesn't notice her, even in the immediate abduction. It felt like there was some thing she was putting out there. Like there was some The reason he doesn't notice her is because he was stalking those two girls. That's all I took from it. But then why? She's like an unplanned variable for him. She, he didn't really think about her. Like he, he stalk- wants those two girls, right? He'd been stalking them for weeks. And the third one he just doesn't even care about? It's just like, well, it's extra. Yeah. She just wasn't his plan. You know that. I felt like with the final reveal, there was... There's not. There's no superpower here. That's that's just his worldview. He's a supervillain. He's explaining his worldview. Okay, so... Yeah, he's like Magneto. The, well, that's... But that's what Ben and I were saying afterwards. Uh-huh. He's Professor X in another movie, though. No, that he that he's like Magneto. Yeah. That he's this purist who believes that only his species have survived. Sure. And she is of his species. In the sense that she is traumatized. Right. Would he not think that Bruce Willis should survive, even though Bruce Willis is also an evolutionary... Bruce Willis is a superhero. He's going to stop him because he kills people. Okay, but what about Mr. Glass? What about Mr. Glass? Would he not like Mr. Glass because Mr. Glass wasn't physically or sexually abused to the best of our knowledge? No, I have no idea. Mr. Glass doesn't come into it. Mr. Glass is another supervillain. This isn't a world about his... Supervillainy, it's a world that supervillains exist in. Like just because Magneto exists in a world doesn't Magneto and Apocalypse don't have any similar worldviews. They just are villains in the same world. I think what Griffin's asking is it's nature versus nurture. So in like the Marvel universe, you have like people who are born mutants, and then you also have sort of like older characters that like were exposed to radiation or space or spiritual stuff. Or you stuff. just have characters who are bastards who made a robot arm for himself. Exactly, yeah. right. So the two the two super characters in Unbreakable are uh-huh. both born that way. Sure. And the one character in uh, Split. Split, who definitively has powers, uh-huh. is sort of made that way. Sure, whatever. Yeah, he got his powers differently. Right, but she isn't, even though she sort of had the same circumstances. She doesn't have any superpowers. That's what, what I'm saying. About? That's what I'm saying. So why so she doesn't have powers? What no. the, what's the movie fucking saying? Is what? he a dude who was born as some weird evolutionary? This is his leap? super villain origin story. He is unleashed, and one hopes in Unbreakable Two he will do battle with David Dunn. Did he get that power because his mom beat him? I don't know. That's not what I'm interested in. That's what I'm interested in. Okay. I don't Because the care movie's about asking that. a lot of fucking big questions now that they're tying her into the Unbreakable universe, which has one very clear way that these fucking people exist. No. The which unbreakable- is that they're born this way. No, in Unbreakable, the idea that's so amazing and fascinating about Unbreakable, uh-huh. which is a different movie, yes. is that Samuel L. Jackson has decided that this, whoever this person is, whoever he'll find it, right. would be his polar opposite, right? Sure. Because he he's decided that all superhero and supervillains it's all duality right and like yeah. if there's an unbreak if I'm the most breakable man then there must be an unbreakable man right and that person would be my supervillain but Samuel L. Jackson is not superpowered he has a real condition and he's just a crazy person in a yes. wheelchair right and the movie ends with that statement because he you know Bruce Willis is walking away from this guy being like oh no what a bad person right right. But that movie... But he's like a Lex Luthor. Yes. This is not a Lex Luthor. No, this is this a superpower. This is a, super a different kind villain. of super person. Right. 
but that movie presupposes that. I just, what do you, a comic book universes can have all kinds of different origins and behaviors and, you know, powers. They can have people who don't have powers but want to be villains anyway. Or whatever. Yes, yeah, they right, can. You know, yeah. But let's talk about the weird, unorthodox construction of this universe, okay? okay. He right. makes a movie for Disney in 2000. Yeah. It's viewed as maybe a double at the box office, right? It makes 100 mil. These right. days, it'd probably be viewed as more successful back at then. At the time, expectations were too high. Off of the hype of The Sixth Sense, it suffers. Right. Uh, but then quickly reevaluated, well-liked film, right? It grows in hype, yeah. You know, it, it gets a kind of cult following that grows and grows and grows, especially as his career kind of uh, nosedives. People start to go like, oh, maybe that was the best one. You know, that was the one we kind of slept on. Absolutely. I think, yes, yeah. And then for years, people keep on going like, hey, why don't you make an Unbreakable sequel? And that's the movie says, we want you to make. And he always says, I'd love to. And Bruce wants to. Like, that's always the line. Okay, yeah. now four or five years ago, he starts saying like, you know, I might do something, but if I were going to make an Unbreakable sequel, it would be an unconventional sequel. Sure. He starts saying that a lot. Right. He, at Universal, in the late 2000s, when he made Devil, that was part of a shingle he had set up called The Night Chronicles. Yes. That was going to be him. Coming up with ideas that other people direct, right, little produce. horror movies. He would little, produce. Sort of like a Twilight Zone in cinema form. He'd yes. give them the logline. He'd right. go, here you go. And yeah. then other people would write it, other people would direct it, he'd produce it. And yeah. it was okay. Tales let, from Am Night Shyamalan's mind. He at that time said that he was going to. Devil yeah. was viewed as a disappointment. Mm-hmm. His name drew such derision okay. that they Carry canceled on. the Carry deal. What this is say? all important. What did he say? They canceled the rest of that deal. But uh-huh. he had said that one of the films he was going to make under the Night Chronicles was what was originally his idea for Unbreakable 2 that he had now turned into its own movie. Uh-huh. That must be this. One assumes. Has to be this. Because what he is I, now I said- I would never say has to be, but go on. I went down the rabbit hole deep last mm-hmm. night. He has said that he came up with this idea 15 years ago. Uh-huh. In an interview where he didn't spoil the Unbreakable thing, yeah, yeah, he said this is the, the longest idea. incubation. Sure, sure, sure. I had this idea for this character as a supervillain who would be the supervillain in Unbreakable 2. And then when I thought Unbreakable 2 wasn't going to happen, I toyed around with, well, I like this character. I like right. this setup. So there you what go. if it's now the girls in the basement? What if it's not about Bruce Willis stopping him? What if it's that as a horror movie from the perspective of the Capitol figures? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the movie he made. Yeah. Okay? Right. And has sold it as not being a sequel to Unbreakable. Right. Which now is retconned into being it Unbreakable. Is a sequel. It was always a sequel to Unbreakable, baby. I know it always was. Yeah. But you watch the movie not knowing that until the end. Right. Until the music you plays. You do know what it is. At which point my brain fucking flipped out because so I know the theme we should say the uh, James Newton Howard score to Unbreakable starts to play over. He, he escapes. Yes. And you see a TV report that's like, he's got multiple personalities. Is, before that, he's in the mirror and he looks at the wounds on his chest. From yeah, the, the bullet wounds, right. And he goes like, they hit me, but it didn't go through. Right. I'm stronger. It right. works. And at that moment, he's giving this kind of evil villain speech Very like Samuel so. Jackson at the end of Unbreakable. James Newton Howard's theme plays. I turn to Ben. I like my my brain starts like yeah. catching on fire. I mean, it's literally like a robot. I am less familiar, I guess, with the score than you because the minute the score started, I immediately was like, "Wait a second, I know this music," and was sort of racking my brain like, "What the fuck is this music? Right. Is this a song I know?" And Whereas then the five seconds later, yeah. I'm like, "This is the Unbreakable." Yeah. Right. That's like Square from Unbreakable is probably in my like top twenty five on iTunes. I listen to it a lot. So I recognized it immediately, yes. and I turned to Ben, and I was, like, shaking, and my head was spinning, but I was, like, Soto, and I was just, like, this is the score from Breakable. What the fuck is he doing? What the fuck is he doing? What the fuck is he doing? This is the score from Breakable. And Ben was, like, what? And I was, like, I guarantee you this is the score from Breakable. Um, then the movie ends. It says split. Mm-hmm. You go, weird ending. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. You're uh, surprised. I mean, I was surprised that he escaped. I figured yeah. she was going to kill him. Right. So it's like, okay, so it just ends with him looking and in like the mirror. And there's like, also that victorious. scene, like we say, where it turns out they're in the zoo and she gets rescued by the cops and the cops. Well, I want to talk like, about that in one second. Okay. I want to loop back around to it because that's my biggest gripe with the movie. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, says split. And then we cut to a diner where yeah. there's a news broadcast talking about this man. And now suddenly they're talking about him in very straightforward superhero villain terms. Right, where it's like 23 personalities and then a 24th that is supposedly an amalgam of the animals in the zoo. Yeah. They call him the Horde. Right, so he's essentially Animal Man. Sure. But a crazy version of Animal Man from sure. DC Comics, right? Right, right, right. He's Animal Man as a supervillain who is... I mean, he's also like Legion, who is a, right. the classic version of the... "Quote unquote multiple personalities, multiple powers, whatever." Like, and which is about to be a show on FX, indeed. Which is going to be interesting to see as a counterpoint to this movie. It's bad. Uh, don't say that. It's real bad. How much of it have you watched? A couple episodes. You also didn't like Fargo. Nope. Okay, so and I don't like this. I'll take that with fucking fifteen yeah, grains of that's salt. That's crazy. Fargo is so good. Yeah, one of my favorite TV shows of the decade. <laughs> way worse than Fargo. <laughs> Put okay, it that way. So then maybe it will be. <laughs> One of my twenty favorite shows no, of the day. It's really bad. It is to me what this movie, what you think this movie is, which is <sighs> like, yeah, yeah. Don't don't do this. You don't like Fargo though. I'm taking it with a grain of salt. Okay, Fargo's bad. You're wrong and dumb, dumb poop, dumb <laughs> fart, fart diarrhea, dumb. You're not wrong. People will figure that out pretty quickly. Never. Yeah. Diarrhea, fart brain. Yeah. Um, diner. Uh, this man who calls himself the Horde, uh, some, zoo animals, right. this and that. And some lady's like, that sounds like that guy in a wheelchair. <laughs> From 15 years ago. Remember that movie that Touchstone Pictures released? I think it grossed like 98.7 domestic. Because uh-huh. what did he call himself? He gave himself a weird name. Oh, Karen Pan's over. Who's there? David Dunn. Our old buddy Bryce Willis reprising the role of David Dunn. Yeah. You know he's David Dunn because he's wearing a shirt that says Dunn on it. Sure, he's wearing his like uh, his blue collar uniform. Yeah, uh, not the poncho. No, but he's wearing like his security guard uniform. Sure, yeah. and he says Mr. Glass. They called him Mr. Glass. They called it Mr. Glass. Now, I love Unbreakable, as you know. Unbreakable. One of my favorite yeah. movies. I spent years hoping he would make a sequel before I got to the point where I went like, you know what? I don't trust M. Night. The movie's better as it is, left alone. Like the movie with him fighting Mr. Glass could never be as good as the implication. The idea that's presented at the end of the movie, you know, don't make it, don't touch it. And then now he's done this backdoor thing, which is like, oh, here's an unbreakable cinematic universe. Here's a character I set up in his own independent movie, his own unbreakable, with the promise of, I guess, I could then make a movie where the two of them cross paths. Does M. Night just keep making movies, introducing new characters? Unbreakable versus split. So my question to you is because there was a film that M. Night said he was going to make, they announced. With Bruce Willis, mm. a routine with Bruce Willis of which very little was known. Mm-hmm. And that sounded like it was going to be his next movie. Mm-hmm. And then that got pushed back for Split. Sure. Do you think that movie's Unbreakable yes. 2 in disguise? Here's my thing. What I think he's doing here, M. Night Shyamalan is no doubt a, a, a man who is very interesting in the marketing and selling of his movies. He's always yep. been from the beginning. And takes a vested From the get-go. Takes a very vested interest in the interest advertising, yeah. in the box office returns, yes. you know, blah, 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 blah. And uh, my guess is he realized, here's how you do it. You plant the seed with this movie. See if you get, you know, the reaction you're looking for, which is essentially people being like, oh, shit. You know, I definitely watched that or I loved Unbreakable or whatever, you know. Okay. And then with that freight train of hype plus the hype that M. Night Shyamalan is used to generating with Uh his twists, uh, you can be like, well, here it is, folks. Bruce Willis and me back together again fighting James McAvoy. 
There you go. Okay. Unbreakable versus The Horde. So film qu- nerd question for you that has no bearing on the quality of the film itself, but I think is worth discussing. Uh-huh. In that situation, if that's his plan, that this was to test the waters and see how people reacted to it, right? Yeah. And when I was talking about the movie to uh, John Trowbridge yesterday, I yeah. said it's weird because it actually, it's a different type of twist ending than I've ever seen a movie have before. Totally. I've never seen a movie do I this before. I can't think of a movie that's done something like this before. Where it essentially in the last scene recontextualizes Announces the entire Announces to you film. that it's part of another cinematic universe. Right. Yes. So you now have to review the film through the prism of knowing what you know about that previous movie. Not that it changes the events of it, but it changes the meaning of the events in a way. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's... it's it is. It's audacious. Bold, audacious move. And I will say it's a thing I used to fantasize about as a kid. Like, I'd sit around and be like, what are cool things you could do in a movie that no one's ever done before? Sure. And one of them was, like, what if you made a movie that was secretly a sequel to something else and you didn't know until the movie ends? Yes. I always thought that was a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm conflicted about what it means for the movie now. Like, I, I will certainly say I was very excited by the ending. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it strengthens the movie. You I think, think it, it totally does. strengthens the movie. I was, before then, I was basically like, look, I love Shyamalan's, again, visual storytelling, what an arresting movie. Sure. What a lot of interesting elements. What a good performance from McAvoy. And Taylor Joy. And Taylor Joy. Yeah. And everyone, really. Everyone yeah. does a good job. But the two of them are special. They are. Yeah. And, like, I'm, you know, and then, oh, I don't know about that twist. It feels a little too on the nose. It feels a little sure. silly for the subject matter. Weird that this is ending in such a pat way. Yeah, that everything's but, sort of tied up. You know, I saw the right. happening. I'm not so shocked that he would do such a thing. Sure. Um, And, like, but I'm, like... Essentially, I'm thinking like, okay, you know, I maybe you don't feel about quite as passionate as I did about the visit, right? But uh, in general, I still think like, good Shyamalan's kind of found his mojo again with this sort of a. I like the visit a lot. I mean, I like the visit more than this one. That's what I just said. Okay, I thought I just you said, said I maybe I don't feel as passionate about it as the visit. I thought you said you don't. Maybe you don't feel as passionate about it. So anyway, go on. I'm sorry. No, you know, but in general, and then yeah. the twist happens and. I love all the implications. I love okay. all of the audacity of it. It helps me deal with some of the more problematic elements of the movie because I'm like, oh, I see. We are in a very heightened world here. Sure. And but then the hand wave that makes the problematic stuff more palpable is just going like, well, he's using tropes of a world where yes. they don't care about things and nothing really means anything, so who cares? Yeah. I don't know if I'm cool with that. All right. I am. It's 2017. Like I don't know if I'm. It's cool 2017. With that. That's your excuse. That's your argument here. Yeah, I just Come think there's on. a fucking cultural responsibility in representing anything on screen now. You know, and I think you're I, like supreme responsibility. I am responsibility. very suspicious of that argument. That there is. Yeah, okay, whatever. You're suspicious of that as an argument. Yes. Yeah. In what way? That every movie needs to be a perfect depiction. I like, don't think and, that. I don't think that. This, here's the thing. I yeah. don't think that. Like, I don't think every movie needs to be a perfect Cinema is, has always had schlock that yeah. confronts issues in gross or unprofessional or weird ways. Yeah. And, you know, all kinds of people find all kinds of comfort in that. Like, you know, like th- there's always been genre. There's always yes. been a spectrum of taste. And, like, there's always going to be movies on extreme ends of that taste. I mean, fucking L, man. Like, there's all kinds of movies that came out this year that do not depict these things with a... Sensitivity or grace, uh, or uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Scientific, uh, full scientific understanding. But right? wouldn't you, you know? argue that L is 
trying to wrestle with those issues in a way that you can find problematic. That's fine. Rather than this movie, which is using them as a plot device. And if you don't like that, that's fine. But I, don't I just don't I think like every that. movie needs to obey some set of laws. I don't either. I don't either. Right. I don't think that. Right. But I do think, I don't think every movie has a responsibility to right. represent everything in the most humane, balanced way. Right. I think you're allowed to show people being bad. I think you're allowed to show people being bad and not take that to mean that it is symbolic of exactly, right, whatever right, group right. that that person all, all belongs to. All people like to. this are like this person. Or, right, you know, like, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Dumb and Dumber doesn't argue that all white men are dumb. Well, I don't know. I might argue that. But, I, well, I, independently, I think all white men are dumb, especially the two of us. Mm-hmm. Ben Smart. He's our finest film critic. Right. Oh, but who's dumber? Oh, between, between the two, the two of us? Mm-hmm. Me. No yeah, question. Griffin. <laughs> Absolutely no question. You came out a fucking idiot. I don't know. I'm the anyway. dumbest person in the world. Yeah. But... But the difference is that there are five bazillion movies yeah. about people like Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. So you don't view that in a microcosm where you're like, well, these are the only but you're saying, okay. 30-something white guys I've ever seen in a movie. So I don't think that all white guys are dumb. Right. But you go like, DID is not a thing that's in fucking movies unless it's, it's in, in a so horror movie. so many things. Unless it's in this situation. Oh unless it's like God. fucking Raising Cane no, or whatever. No, what about fucking the United States of Tara? That's the one other instance. No, there's others with multiple personalities. That, that's like, people have played in that dirty pool forever. It's right, been and the, happening and the since before DID was a diagnosis. The point is that the pool is always dirty. That it's sure. always either played as a joke, look how crazy they are, uh-huh. or it plays a horror movie, look at how scary they are. Right. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I'm not. I don't care. For the listener at home, I'm holding my hands up and going, "Come on, look." I I don't want to be too mean on this podcast, so I'm not going to really go further on this. But sure, there are groups that are rep- representational, like you know, that you have to think about in a really serious way. But DID is a really obscure, odd thing. Like it's not like there's, you know, a, that makes it all the more because it is so obscure. Right. To then I, your just argument like, is fair. Your argument paint is very a bullseye fair. and just be like. Like, I just think of someone having DID now and being like, like, I remember being. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. I remember being in college uh-huh. and in a class, our teacher saying that he, uh, you know, was on the autistic spectrum. Sure. And someone in class went like, oh, like Rain Man. Sure. And he like threw his book down and he was like, not like fucking Rain Man. It sucks. You know, I was born when... in 1980. Do you understand? But like, I mean, especially with something like that, it sticks. sucks when there is. A definitive cinematic yes. version yes. of your illness. Right, like, which Split now is. That's not true at all. Come on, man. What would you argue is that- Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There are so many- But Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is about someone drinking a potion. I'm aware that that's what it's about, but that doesn't mean- I, I've got some movies to throw at you guys. Yeah, please, go ahead. Me, myself, and Irene. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's so I many I think it falls into simple. the same category of what I'm talking about. Yes, but like, I'm just saying, you're saying this is some definitive thing. Lunatic. Fight Club. Like, yes, there's so many versions of this in movies. It's a fucking Identity. You know, oldest genre trope in the world. And all of them, it's either fucking a horror monster right. or it's a fucking joke. Right, but you're you're nailing Split to the wall, and like, I think that's... Because it's the most recent one, and I wonder if we should know <laughs> well, better at this no, point. No, I would say also a TV show, um, Mr. Robot. Is Mr. doing this as Mr. well. Mr. Robot, which did this fucking bullshit last year, drove me crazy. But it drove me crazy because it was lazy storytelling. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was, I mean, it was so lazy that they pretended to know that they were just doing Fight Club again. And I was even more mad <laughs> because they played fucking Where Is My Mind. You know, you, you know what I'm talking Don't about. Don't spoil I, I Mr. Robot. I know the Mr. Robot, Club. when they reveal the twi- twist, hey, they, they literally no. do it. What? I didn't see it. You didn't see Mr. Robot? Well, I haven't seen the second season yet. 
the, the first, it happens in the first season oh. when they reveal the twist. They, which is the Fight Club twist, they literally play "Where Is My Mind." Well, fuck that so hard. Exactly. Fuck that so incredibly hard. Can I throw out my final thing about the movie? I don't think your thing is what you're saying is like out of out of line. I'm more just no. We're not. Pushing I mean, back, look, you know, we're spirited people. You and I. I, I, we're not actually fighting, and these are fucking arguments. Like these are arguments. They're interesting arguments. These to are have. cultural I arguments more, that are ongoing. Put it this way: I am much more distressed by the depiction of, uh, you know, a sufferer of child abuse. Okay, so that's the final point I, I want to get to. By you know, a more nebulous sort of like, sure. you know, like you know, there are a lot of people who might see Split who have suffered abuse at the hands of a parent and might find that the and film find it. Is a little as flip, to, to use, flip in how it deals with that. Right. But these are also people I assume, who games. have watched a lot of things that are flippant about it. You know, I'm not saying splits uh, absolve, but it's not an uncommon trope. I don't know if there's a lot of people who have disassociative identity disorder who are going to go see split. But when you're saying the like a lot of, you know, a lot of people who have seen things like this being flip about stuff. Right. That's where I brought up my opening point of like, if someone showed this to me on a VHS and said, this is a weird movie no, that Brian Palmer directed in 1982. Point. Right, right. It would, it, it's... I'd go like, well, we shouldn't make that today, but obviously for what it is, I guess it's well done. Right. Uh, but today it's just like, well, at what point do we say you can keep on doing this just because a lot of people have done it and it's already been done? I don't know, probably forever. People are always going to, they're going to try and find new angles on the old shit, right? I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, that's what he's doing. Look, if they had explained that James McAvoy drank a magic potion, a la Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. I mean, that's oh, they, they go halfway to explaining right. it that way. And it, I thought they were going to go there, and if they went there, I would have gone, awesome, cool, thumbs up, so wait, but totally down with thumbs- that section. Okay. All right. Yeah. What, what uh-huh. do you say? No, I don't care. I, I, it doesn't matter. Your only problem with Split seems to be that no. it is problematic. No, that's not my only problem. Okay. I, it's your only argument you've been making the whole podcast. Because I think that's the most pertinent thing okay. to talk about. Okay. But but what else? I mean, look, I, a lot of it is I need to see it a second time. You do. Because okay. I was so thrown off by how differently it played out than I thought it would. Right. And I was leaning forward in my chair the whole time trying to figure out, like, where the fuck is this going? Where's the twist going to be? What's he going to do? How is he going to pull the wool over my eyes? Yes. Where are the misdirects? I want to watch it now knowing everything. Yes. There were some storytelling things. I, I can't even verbalize where I was like, that's sort of an odd choice. I think, I mean, Joe Reed was sort of vaguely seemed to be talking about this as well, I, I, although we didn't talk enough for me to get his full opinion on it. No, but, yeah. I say I can't verbalize it because it wasn't like I was watching a scene and going like, ding, 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 this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But I was watching and just going like, somehow it feels like the gears aren't totally clicking for me. Gears click for me. Sometimes they did. Clickety click. Sometimes they did. <sighs> God, I'm hot. Here's my final point I want to make. Uh-huh. And this was the moment in the movie that kind of ticked me off the most. The final flashback. As I have been hinting at, okay? All the other flashbacks take place in the one day, the one camping trip. Mm-hmm. The final flashback takes place at the funeral. Her father's funeral. Yeah. Presumably sometime later, yeah. the father has died. Yeah. Goes, oh, this is that thing. And a heart condition runs in the family. What can you do about it? Uh-huh. Well, now you get to come live with me and you're going to be a nice girl, aren't you? Sure. And from there on out, the movie now makes it clear oh, this is not someone who was sexually abused by right. their who uncle. Who is continuing once as a child. to suffer abuse, yes. Feels incredibly cruel to put that on the fucking character. Sure. When sure. the movie functions just as well. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. If it hasn't been systematic But abuse. I mean, I think, like I say, I think the arc he's decided to tell here is, you know, that this is the transformative experience for her to break loose. Right. So he makes a, a bargain with the devil, essentially. Yeah. Which is in order to get the payoff where the girl gets to finally take control and fight the demon head on. Yeah, I can't. He has to make I, it that for the last 12 years, whatever it's been, 10 years, 
let's say eight to ten years. Sure. Yeah. I know. I don't. I don't disagree with you. It's. Tough. I mean, talk about a cat. Like you know, trying to cash a check that bounces. And again, for me, it, like, if I was someone who, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I would find that a, a tough pill to swallow. Feels like a mean thing to do to your character. Amen. Only so, so that you can be like, ah, oh, but look at how it all comes full circle. It's true. Let me make it in the last five minutes. Right. Let me suddenly reveal this character has suffered. A thousand times more than now, you already thought now, she had. He's he's not. He likes this. He, I know. I he mean, does. Lady in the Water, a cute children's fantasy, is about a man whose whole family was murdered in front of him, which is crazy. And he gave up a career being a doctor this, because he could never recover. This is from something him. he does over and over and yep. over again. Like yes. I mean, even signs, like even the more muted versions of Bunch the trauma. Of he can't get over it. They always even, have a thing they can't get over. fucking wild, wide awake. Yes. <laughs> like, even though that's just a grandfather no, dying. every one you know. of his movies has something that someone can't get over. I'm trying to th- think, I mean, I guess The Last Airbender. <laughs> but apart from that. Yeah, he can't get over the fact that he. <laughs> that he's the last airbender? Yeah. Yeah. And that he's not going to have a family. He does visit like a skull house. Yeah. And he was like frozen forever. He doesn't know anyone anymore. He's, that's his trauma. Yeah. So I uh, don't disagree with you that yeah it's 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 brutal and uh, look too much paprika in the sandwich. Yeah, I think that's a very kind way of putting it. Too much paprika in that sandwich. Okay, well that has been M Night Shyamalan split. He really, I wish he made a movie every week that we could talk about. I do too. I mean, it's look, really gold for our podcast. There are few filmmakers more fascinating to delve into than M Night. Yeah, and he lays it all out on the table. You know. Uh yes, yes, good and bad. It's all sort of there. There's a lot to pick at. And uh, you certainly never watch one of his movies and don't think about him. Um, yeah. Much like Hitchcock, you, you feel like, okay, this guy's, his hands are on my shoulders. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm aware of who's making this film uh, and what he's Agreed, which I love. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Look, I'd rather watch a bad N. Night Shyamalan movie than a good fucking, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? I'm trying to think of any number of indispensable directors. I'm indispensable? sorry. Disposable oh. directors. Uh, I was going to say uh, John Wells. Wow. John, damn. John Wells is really, he's crying. That guy's a TV director. Yeah, That's that guy wild. blows. He does. But I'm saying like a. a no, I, to- I totally get what you mean. And of course I agree with you. I'm always 10 times more fascinated to see a Wachowski movie or right. a Shyamalan movie, even if it's a failure or a mixed bag like this is. Right. Than I am to see a really well done. Who is? I'm trying to think of the perfect example. I was gonna a, a Lassie Halstrom joint. I don't know. That's too. He's too bad. Yeah. Well, and also, Dog's Purpose is turning out to be its own. Kind of split. <laughs> what the fuck is happening with Dog's Purpose, man? They were drowning dogs. Can I throw out? A, a, what the fuck? Can I throw out a potentially controversial opinion very quickly? <laughs> sure. Uh, After I was the controversial. I know. Opinion I know. Maker. I need to balance the scales yeah, a little go bit. Ahead, go ahead. Uh, that scene where they drown the dog in Dog's Purpose, which for those of you who don't know, Dog's Purpose, a bullshit movie that's coming out in like Some dog a movie. fucking week about a dog that keeps on dying and reincarnated <laughs> as a different dog, but always sounds like Josh Gad in interior monologue. Uh, footage leaked out from the set of the movie where they were trying to make the dog swim in uh, fake rapids, and, uh, and, and the dog looked terrified, and they essentially drowned the dog in order to get the shot. 
and the dog went underwater and they had to swim in and catch it. It was like it, horrible, traumatizing footage, right? They didn't kill the dog no, for they real. Didn't. No, they didn't. But they, they put the dog through. They were through. not nice to dog. No, they were inhumane in their treatment of the dog to try to get a shot oh, of the dog looking like it was in danger. That's fucked. Yep, it's fucked. It's fucked and scary to watch, okay? And uh, it only got revealed because of this viral leak. You okay, know, yeah. so this is my potentially too hot to handle take. Do you know when that was shot? October 2015. Who's this fucking good Samaritan whistleblower who filmed that on the day and decided to wait until now to release it? I don't know, man. Maybe he knew it would pop, uh, you know, a week before release. Yeah, isn't that a little bit fucking opportunistic to be like, when can I get the most press traction rather than like, hey, how do I make sure that the yeah, people... But it- because for the it, last fucking year and a half, this yeah. company that does but these the dogs, same, that's fair. That that's trains fair. these right, stage right, right. animals. The argument is you're right. You're you're not you're stopping not anything. This in the bud. You're just penalizing the box office receipts of this movie, which is sure penalize this movie. I don't fucking give a shit. But also, what's the actual problem here? Shitty dog trainers. Look, stop them immediately. Look, I I just I agree with you, but at the same time, we live in a, a viral era. I agree. Whoever leaked the video, fuck you for doing it now. You're a shitty person. Don't think you're a fucking hero. If you were a hero, you would have released it a year and a half ago. I hope our, one of our listeners writes in and, and reveals that they were the one who leaked the video. Um, well, everybody, this has been our very heated episode. Oof. You yeah. want to play the box split? office game? Yeah. Uh, it made $2 million yesterday. Pretty good, actually. It's pretty good. Yeah. And I think Triple uh, X, uh, The Return of Xander Cage, did 1.2. It did. Hearing a lot of things about that one. Some people are going with the, no, 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 real fun, Donnie Yen, crazy stunts, like, what if blast? And then other people are like, what? No, it's a piece of shit. Like, huh? Like, forget it. I'm disposable. excited to see it. I'm going to see it. This weekend, I'm, ex- I'm sort of excited to see it. Like, after a real uh, dip in interest, I, sure. I've rebounded a little bit. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? Give me a give me a go around with old Xander Cage. I like that Vin does these We're the World franchises, that it's unified, Don't diverse. disagree with that. Yeah. Don't disagree with that. I think that's true. I mean, even like Spectrums of Sexuality, you know? Yeah, he's got Ruby Rose in there. Yeah, I love it. Sure, sure. I like Vin. Uh, I'm going to see it this weekend. A box office game here. Let's play it reverse. Here's my prediction. I think Split does $28 million this weekend. Yeah. That and sounds I about think, right. 25 or somewhere. And I think there. The Return of Xander Cage does 19 Uh, Yeah. I was happy to see that Ice Cube returned. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think uh, I think uh, Hidden Figures Hidden has figures a good will, hold. That'll make like 17 That That movie is a goddamn freight train. Yeah, I think Hidden Figures and Triple X are going to be neck and neck. La La Land will make like 13. Yeah, that movie's uh, Rogue One will make like 9 or 10, you know. Right, it's getting close to dethroning Dark Knight as the, I think, the sixth highest grossing It's going to dethrone. It's already dethroned uh, Finding Dory, which everyone forgets is one of the 10 highest grossing films ever made. Ever made. Ever made. Ever made. It's crazy that Finding Dory came out and uh, everyone saw it. Literally and then everyone just, saw Everyone it. met in a big meeting room. I was there, you were there, we were I was all there. there. We all went and saw And we it. said, let's never discuss Finding Dory again, ever. Let's never talk about no, it. No one invited me. No, you weren't there. Yeah, you were sick that day. Um, I like Finding Dory more than most people, and I never think about Finding Dory. My is, problem? That, is that a fish movie? It is. Yeah. It's a fish one. My problem with Finding Dory- Trey Anastasio directed it. That's what you mean. Yeah. My problem with Finding Dory is that the ending did not work for me, and I was so hyped for it. I like the very ending. I like the last line, the last shot. But I, I think the final chase the, I mean, stuff, yeah, that's escape right. stuff, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think it's solid, though. I give it like a 6.57. Pick those ones. Right. I, I give them a three. Definitely helps if you're rolling, I bet, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to drop drop your bean. Or hippie flipping, maybe. You got to drop your bean. Yeah, got to drop that bean. Get some goo balls. <sighs> oh, it's, it's so good. 
such a good movie. I don't know how I feel. So happy he made it. I'm so happy he's good again. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I just like fucking Last Airbender and After Earth look like shit. That's the thing. I'm just happy he makes movies that look good. Like, so much shit I'm happy about. Um, just stop putting yourself into that. And that interview with with After Earth, I think it's Mike Ryan, where Mike Ryan says, like, you know, it's the reviews, and he says, "Oh, are people digging it?" And your heart just kind of breaks for the guy, yeah. even though you're like, I'm mad at him for making the movie. God. Uh, I'm Yes, I'm happy he's back. And look, dude's got amazing craft, right? And it's exciting just to see him um, get back to basics. Crafty, crafty. Focus up, you know. Um, I think he's better when he's pulpy. I think he's best as sort of a B-filmmaker and... Uh, Brings me to a quote I want to read to conclude this episode. Please. An interview that uh, Evan Sadoff at Birth Movies Death did with Shyamalan back at Fantastic Fest mm-hmm. when the movie first screened. Yep. Which, let me just say, hey. Good job those guys not revealing this twist. Yeah, because people all saw, saw this it. movie in fucking September and yep. no one revealed it. Real kudos. Yeah. Um, he said it's slightly off topic, but it was also cool to see you do found footage in the visit. At this point in your career, try something so different and nail it was exciting for a lot of us fans to see. And Shyamalan's response is, I love it. I'm so weird that way. The bigger the movie, the more money you spend, you just start to lose your dot, dot, dot. There are so many directors who are so good at that, like Spielberg and Cameron. Obviously, Cameron's the king of what can you do if you have more? But for me, it's always the reverse. What can you do when it's just you and me in this hotel room and it turned out this is the opening scene of a movie and something goes on and you and I figure it out? Right, right, right. Now, we did this miniseries on him with this thesis of kind of like this guy got doomed by feeling the need to live up to the expectations of right. what an M. Night Shyamalan movie was and make them bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep. And so often... Got in his own head. Yeah. And so often, I feel like people we cover on this podcast are either going to be people like Spielberg or Cameron. Who are who, masters of and, the craft. And they're peaks and valleys, but they kind of stay at a similar status. And they're all... Yeah, they want to have the biggest projects available to them. Right. And they, they can, yeah. Or people who kind of nosedive at some yeah. point. Whether it's the Wachowskis and they nosedive in terms of commercial viability, Whatever. even if the films are still good. Cameron Crowe where it's both. Yeah. Or Shyamalan where it was like kind of back and forth on the two. Mm-hmm. It's rare, although we always want the uplift at the end to see someone get it back. It's rare that that happens. Agreed. And the visit at the time we were like, this is such a weird odd duck movie. It's found yeah. Maybe it's an anomaly. Maybe also, he's not back. It's one of those things where you're like, yeah, are we just judging this on a different scale and thus, you know, it just looks better by comparison or whatever. Yeah. Whether or not I like Split, and I really don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Four stars, number one of the year so far for me. I've only seen one movie. This it's time. the second best movie I've seen this year. What's the other one? Bright Light starring Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Does that count as a movie? I count as a movie. That's my number one. Split's number two, though. Right now, my inclination is it's right in the middle of my pack in my Shyamalan rating. That's probably, well, yeah, it's probably the same for me. It's, it's below the big three for me. Yeah. That's where, that's where it is, below the big three. Yeah. You know what the big three is. Uh, Lady in the Water. No. Sixth Sense, The Village, and The Visit? Yeah. yeah no, I, no, no, no. Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and the, Vill- the Village. Oh, I thought you liked Unbreakable last night. I, I think I like it less than you, but I still think it's a yeah. good move. Yeah, I mean, Unbreakable, Sixth Sense, uh, Village, Visit, Lady in the Water. I probably like Wide Awake how more than I you, like this. How can you? How can you do this to me? Oh, my God. I'm a sap, I'm a goofball, oh. and I'm a contrarian. Just throwing everything in the garbage. Hells yeah, opinion. Oh. Um, right, go ahead. No. It's nice to see him kind of get his group back. Yeah. Where even if I have problems with this movie, I do think it is the type of movie he should be making. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. 
and uh, it feels like you know it, he's going to continue on that track. So it's it's a nice you know who says in our second la- acts in American Life. Good for you, M Night, or good just you, M. Night. Night. That's what people call. Him. Uh, well, you know, uh, get on that Reddit. I, someone already started a thread uh, for blanky uh, reactions to to Split. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be popping the next couple of days. Got hot spot be on split. the internet is going to be the Blankies. Uh, oh God, we got to wrap this up. Split We've been going for way too long. Go there. Yeah. Right there. Next Rate, week. Review, subscribe. Next week. Pod me if you cast. We finally. The Lost new Pod series. Jurassic Cast. It's happening. Yes. An episode recorded months ago. God, when did we even. I don't even remember. Forever it was so ago. long ago. Forever ago. Yeah. But, um, I'm excited to hear it. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, get ready for that. Uh, we got a whole miniseries pretty much in the can. It's coming at you, and you're going to get blank check without interruption, despite the fact that I'm going to be. Very working, working. Be boy interrupted. I'm gonna be boy interrupted. Speaking of movies that fucking do bullshit job of portraying mental illness, I've never seen it. Girl in Crisis. Never seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you all for listening, rating, review, subscribe. Oh my subscribe. god, you already said that shit. Thank Goodbye. You, and as always. Oh oh oh. And as always. And as always, we uh-huh. have a very special treat uh-huh. for our listeners. Oh yeah. And as always, here we go. Ben. Ben Hosley had not seen the trailer for Split before seeing the movie. Hadn't seen anything. Knew nothing other than... He just knew his multiple personalities. He saw the poster. 23 personalities about to meet the 24th. And Ben, two days ago, recorded a very special segment of On the Record where he tried to predict all 24 personalities. It's long. We're laughing through most of it. But we hope you enjoy it. Goodbye. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh... Oh, yeah, that's not a good intro. I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know where going. this is going to start. This is perfect. This is perfect. This will be hilarious to drop God in. God damn it. Fine. Hey, everybody. This Ugh. is uh, time for the, the well, part where Ben makes predictions on the film Split. Right. So we're cutting Specifically, to this. Specifically, yeah, we're going to drop this in. It is Wednesday, uh-huh. January 18th. I'm holding up a newspaper. <laughs> yes. Yeah. David's right. holding. Can you hear it? Okay, that's the newspaper. Great. Wednesday, January 18th. Now, David has seen the movie Split. I did. I saw it last night. Ben and I will be seeing it about 24 hours hence. Correct. We'll be recording the episode two days from now. And Ben has not even seen the trailer for the movie. All that he knows is that right? He hasn't even seen the trailer. Hasn't even not seen the even trailer. seen the trailer. Because the trailer gives away right. at least three of the uh, personalities. Right. There are 24 so personalities. Split in the is movie. about a man who has 23 distinct personalities mm-hmm. in one body because he has a totally real disorder that is not fake. And. Uh, the 24th is about to be unleashed. Now, Ben, what are some predictions that you have for, you don't have to do all 23, but some of the On personalities. On the record, let's, let's try to get 23. Just going to throw out some of the choicer predictions. Okay. okay. And I guess I'll make a noise. And I'm gonna Ben demanded that I make a noise yeah. uh, if he's closer or far. So right off the top, of course, you're going to have a little baby boy. One. Oh. Okay. Then you got southern effeminate gentleman, just like, oh, child, let me tell you, you're going to be just fine. He can't get you. <laughs> Two. Great. Angry young man. Urgh, fuck, no one gets it. Three. All right, all right. All right, excited creep. Hey, girls. How you doing? Four. Okay. Uh, Very lonely. Sounds like the, the excited creep again. Four. All right, I didn't organize them good. Damn it. Fuck. All right. No, it's fine. Carry on. Great. Carry on. Confused, that was four. All right, that was confused five. David Byrne. Uh, but this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife. All right. Six. Uh, closing argument lawyer. Now you see... That's why I kidnapped you. Seven. Dog. Root. Eight. <laughs> Wet hippie. Yeah, man, I'm all drenched. <laughs> Nine. Soup Nazi. No soup for you. Ten. 
Bro, uh, dude, the thing though, you gotta make sure you do that special <laughs> dance <a> for me. <laughs> Tom waits. <laughs> Great. Twelve. <laughs> Slam poet. <laughs> That's not what a slam poet sounds like. Yeah, come on. Uh, the thing is that you are now mine, <laughs> girls. Thirteen. <laughs> Deaf pirate. Arg! I can't hear you. Fourteen. <laughs> Post game interview. <laughs> yeah, but the thing was, I was really like just working up a sweat out there. I was trying to do my best for you. Uh, I hope you like this caged in room you live in now. Personality is a state <laughs> post-game interview. <laughs> it is an action. <laughs> Not a, okay, on. that's fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. Well, I say. Well, I say now. Fig, you know, Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> right, just Foghorn Leghorn. Sixteen. Mm-hmm. Right. No, I'm done. That's it. No, you don't got more. Come on, uh, man. Ben giving up on a bit. That's a classic you're so, Ben no. bit. You're so close. You're up to sixteen. Ben. I know. There's. All right. Fine. Uh, fuck. Um, I'll, I'll give you a hint. You've only gotten like one. <laughs> maybe like a little more basic archetype. <laughs> oh man, fine. Like you know, maybe he's like sort of cranky. He's like, but I don't wanna. All right, seventeen. Seventeen. <laughs> Great. Uh, oh, this bit. <laughs> it, fell, it didn't run out of gas. The gas like fell out of the car <laughs> all at the same time, and then the car exploded. And everyone inside is dead. Come on, Ben. Six more. Oh, God. All right, fine. Oh, um, God. This is a catastrophe. 24 is a gimme. This you know you got the I know I got Give me six it. more. All right. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, um, well, hey, I'm uh, I'm uh, just looking for my mama. No, that's like the baby boy. This Fuck. bit is even going on too long. On this podcast, nothing can be short. That was 18, Ben. Come on. Okay, fine. How? I'm a Native American. Oh, <laughs> 19. Okay. Jesus 19. Christ. No, with a get... lot of disapproval. No, man. I don't like that It is amazing either. that I'm split, running out. Also, also, you know, like, they're, they're, thank God there is no characters like a black guy or whatever. You know, oh. no, they, don't they, don't, they don't go into sausage that. Sausage party bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Okay. Yeah, he was like, ay, caramba. Like, that doesn't happen. Then luckily. four more. Four more. Okay. You can um, use ay caramba if you want. Yeah. <sighs> oh, I'm so out of breath. It's running. 20. Great. Um, Just someone who's running? This is a personality. Distinct personalities. Uh, okay, and then lastly, oh, wow, what a restful day I've had. 21, you have two more, Ben. <laughs> Just do two more. Just do two impressions. Okay. Quickly. Do your best impressions. Do my best impressions. Oh, was she a, a great big fat person? Is, is, is that Philip Seymour Hoffman? Yep. No, it's yep. <laughs> Uh, Buffalo Bill, right, okay, right? One more, your second best impression. Oh, I, uh, um, fuck, I don't, I don't have a. Uh, wait, come on, you got no, something. No, I got something. I got something. Um, take his face off. It's it's Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage is the twenty fifth person. And and then the Beast, do the Beast. And then the Beast is like, uh, you know, he's like, uh, hey, what's up? I'm the Beast. Cool, great, cool. Wow. No, well, that has been Benny on the record. <laughs> Wow. I can't believe this. What, what was that, 25 minutes, Ben? That was a long six minutes. <laughs> oh, boy. Try to cut that one down if you can. I think so. I think I'm going to lose a few of them. Uh, anyway.
This has been a UCB Comedy production. Check out our other shows on the UCB Comedy Podcast Network.